0: Today, I am proud to announce the Walt Disney Company is acquiring Lucasfilm, the global entertainment company, founded by George Lucas, and the home of the legendary Star Wars franchise. In addition to getting the rights to one of the greatest family franchises and epic stories of all time, Disney is also acquiring all of Lucasfilm's operating business. The Star Wars universe, including industrial life, seventeen thousand characters, inhabiting several thousand planets. And spanning twenty thousand years, and this gives Disney infinite inspiration and opportunities to continue the epic. Fans Star can Wars expect saga. a new feature film, Star Wars Episode Seven, in theaters worldwide in two thousand and there will be more feature films, as well as consumer products, television projects, games, and theme park attractions. We're thrilled that George has entrusted the future of his extraordinary legacy to the Walt Disney Company. And recognize what an honor truly understand the responsibility that comes with being the caretakers of such iconic characters that are beloved by hundreds of millions. And the addition of Lucasfilm will further our growth strategy and create even more opportunity for Disney to drive significant long term value for our shareholders.
1: I hope one day, because these NDAs are extremely strict, (laughs) as, as your brother, I'm sure, can attest. At, at some point, I hope that there is a great unauthorized history written about how these movies came to be, why they changed the way they did, and what happened.
2: I think it's just the title for this episode is going to be, you know, Star Wars at Disney, phase one. What the fuck? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. But the fact that there isn't even a phase two, I think, is smart. I think that they're very. I think they're finally being smart about it, because it it makes sense to get your ducks in a row now. Yeah. If you know kind of how everything happened, if you want to play it safe and just remake Star Wars like they're doing with their animated live action, live action stuff, fine, do that. But just know what you're going to do before you do it. Have a plan. Have a plan. <laughs> Nobody had it. Lucas didn't have a plan, and look how that went. It, it's like that was lightning in a bottle that you are never going to recapture because it's it's you can't. Ah, Star
2: Wars, <laughs> nothing but Star Wars, give
3: me the Star Wars.
2: Hello, I'm Ryan Daly from the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and you are listening to a very special episode of Give Me Those Star Wars. As often as possible, we at the Fire and Water Network adhere to the mantra, find your joy. We talk about the things that make us happy, that we are passionate about. That doesn't mean ignoring the bad. If there's something to criticize, we most certainly will but hate-bashing a movie, or comic book, or TV show, or song, I'm sure there is an audience for that type of review, but that has never been the audience that we have courted. Because, frankly, we don't like to waste our time living with that much negativity. This is only a hobby, after all, and life is too short to do anything other than derive as much pleasure from it as possible. At least, most of the time. Some topics are much harder to enjoy than others, Some material can't simply be celebrated, it has to be dissected. You can't look away from the material, you can't pretend like it didn't happen. You have to face it and talk about it. That's the only way you can move forward. Such is the case with the last five years of Star Wars films, the new era under Disney that I am calling Star Wars, the Disney Age, Phase One. This episode of Give Me Those Star Wars includes conversations with David A. Gutierrez, Andrew Leyland, John and Maggie Schaefer-Hames, Neil Daly, and Mike Gillis. We discuss the new trilogy, The Force Awakens, The Last Jedi, and The Rise of Skywalker, as well as Rogue One and Solo. We discuss creative turnover behind the scenes and fan outrage on social media. We discuss the good and the bad. When there is joy to be found, we acknowledge it. But mostly, we look at this string of five movies, four of which surpassed a billion dollars at the global box office, a staggering success for any franchise. And we wonder, why doesn't that financial success feel like a victory? Star Wars, with the backing of the biggest, most dominant movie studio in history, with visionary filmmakers and amazingly talented actors, with two generations of fans desperate for more and a whole new generation of kids to ensorcel, with the future wide and inviting, with the force as our ally, with all of that, what in the name of all that is holy happened here? for Star Wars: The Force Awakens opening in theaters December
4: 18th. 2015 Take a look
2: Part 1 I will finish what you started
5: The cool thing about The Force Awakens was it lived up to the hype, which I thought was going to be almost impossible to do at the time. Disney had purchased it. Everybody knew about it. We were excited that they were going back and the original cast was coming back for more Star Wars movies, which we've been aching for for a long time. But the hype machine was in in such overdrive, I kind of felt like, I don't know if this is ever going to recapture that kind of childhood excitement that we had way back then.
4: I think The Force Awakens was very close to what it needed to be given how Star Wars fans were at the time that it was released.
1: I think it did all the things that it needed to do. The Force Awakens. Uh, well, it kind of did what it was supposed to. I think it was very telling. that it. I think the first line of dialogue is uh, Max Van Siddo handing Poe Dameron whatever that I think a map or something saying this will begin to make things right. And I think that was the overall theme of that movie, that the uh, that the directive from Disney and Lucasfilm was to get the house in order and really give the audience what they want.
6: Force Awakens, easily my favorite of all of them. I'm sure because I happen to like the beginnings of things frequently. Like I find that true in video games as well. I'll like at a certain point, I'll just restart because I like the beginning part. <laughs> I don't know why I do it. I just do. But The Force it Awakens was. had so much promise, and I liked where it was going. Um, so it, Force Awakens was definitely my favorite. Speaking
3: of the beginnings, the first half hour or so of that, especially, are some of the most Star Warsy stuff since the opening sequence of A New Home. For sure. I mean, I still watch it, even no matter what I'm feeling about any other movie or any time. I get a big grin on my face when they're running, you yeah. know, and the Millennium Falcon flying and all of that. And it's
6: they're so running cool. running away from
3: things, and they're yelling. It's and so I love Rey.
6: And I love is she's constantly trying to get Poe to let like, like go overhand sure. or Finn not Poe uh, uh, Finn to like go overhand and it's it's Absolutely. it's really funny
3: the lightsaber being pulled and then it it turns out that it's Ray that has it yeah.
4: For the most part, I really do like what they did with the movie. It's fun. It's quick. It's the first time I've seen Harrison Ford try since like Air Force One. But as much as I love the characters, I love the actors. I think that they set up a great series of movies. I love Ray, Finn, and Poe. I absolutely adore Adam Driver as Kylo Ren. I think the return to puppets and practical sets and effects, all of that stuff is great. But I don't think that the series set up the universe that had been you know, growing and changing since Return of the Jedi, that we're 30 years in that timeline, that the New Republic has, at this point in the timeline, existed longer than the Empire ever did, by about 10 years. And they, they blow up that status quo without fully telling you what it was that was destroyed. You don't really ever fully understand – what it was that was lost. And you only really learn that the Republic is kind of collapsed in the opening crawl of The Last Jedi.
1: And it's kind of telling the looseness of things. When you look at the art of of, uh, The Force Awakens, there's a lot of developmental art that are just done just to kind of get a feel of what they wanted to do and where they wanted to go with it. And uh, it just shows that there was no plan, which is fine, kind of. It's kind of fine to go into this without a plan when you're starting, but I think as you get further and further in, it's probably good to have one. For example, Poe Dameron, the character that was supposed to die off, is just sort of left to live because Oscar Isaacs was charming enough to keep going as a character, but doesn't really serve, he never really had a purpose beyond the first movie. But all in all, I think as, as sort of a reboot, remix, it, that's how I described it when, when I had to do a review of the movie. Uh, I think The Force Awakens is, is a is a great start to something. And, and they really got lightning in a bottle with, with Daisy Ridley and uh, Adam Driver.
5: But the bottom line is it delivered in its promise to get us excited about Star Wars. It was a fun event film that lived up to the hype.
4: What y'all think
2: of the new trailer? The future Star Wars films. uh, Kathy and I have been working on future Star Wars films, and uh, the main reason I brought Kathy on is rather than quit, I wanted to have it move forward. But I needed somebody I trusted who could take that franchise and make it work the way I intended it to. So once Kathy came on board, we started working with writers and started working. Uh, on all the processes of doing the films um, so we've you know got a plan for uh, Seven eight and nine which are the is the, the end of the trilogy and um, other films also so uh, we have a you know a large uh, uh, group of ideas and characters and books and all kinds of things we could go on making Star Wars for the next hundred years I think before- Before we had seen The Rise of Skywalker, Mm -hmm. you asked me if I thought George Lucas should have been involved in the sequel trilogy, if Disney (laughs) made a mistake completely ousting him and, and separating him. And my initial gut reaction was, no, it was not a mistake. They were right to do that because for as messy and clunky and nonsensical and contradictory as the new saga has been, I think we quickly forget (laughs) how bad the prequel trilogy was. Now I say that knowing I have good friends who are fans of the prequel trilogy or who at least apologize for it and and defend aspects of it. I am not among those people. I do not share those beliefs. I think they are just crappy movies, objectively, (laughs) badly written, directed...
5: I'm going to interject for a second. I think you're being too kind. Your first reaction when I said that was "fuck George Lucas." <laughs> <laughs> that was that was your initial reaction. <laughs> okay, okay, um,
2: But yeah, but I, I have been I have been thinking about it and trying to reflect on it, now, especially having, having some time reflecting on all of them, whether or not he should have been involved. And as I'm still thinking about it, what do you think? I, I mean, did you have okay. an answer for that question?
5: I do. I do. I've thought about this long and hard, especially in the wake of The Rise of Skywalker kind of underperforming and stuff. And everybody's now thinking, well, what if? You know, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Let me preface my answer to this question by saying I hate George Lucas's direction and I hate his writing of dialogue. I need to make that absolutely clear first. But – That doesn't mean I don't want him involved in the – I wish – see, first of all, is anybody that's ever created something. It's hard to take a singular voice that has the idea of point A to Z and know the whole story and know everything about every character because you created it and then hand it off to somebody else and say, okay, now do with it what you will when they instinctively don't know what these characters would have done like you would because you created them. Once they decided that they were going to come back and do a sequel trilogy, not just new Star Wars movies, but they were bringing back the original cast. The biggest problem I had with that was I said, well, Lucas is the only one that knows what would have happened with these people, like know how to make it make it seamless and make it uniform so that all of these things. Lucas had story ideas out there, which people, you know, people kind of forget about that. He you know, he originally the Journal of Wills was going to be 12 movies and then it was going to be nine movies and stuff. But he had all these things. The story was going to be Anakin and then his his offspring and then his grandkids. And us. so there were places to go with that. And then the whole idea of Luke Skywalker kind of becoming like an Obi-Wan was Lucas's idea, too, that, you know, he could go and be like just depressed about the betrayal of a student that he thought he could be a better teacher and lose and then go off and go. All that stuff is fine. And I like the fact that they kept a lot of that stuff. All you needed to do was have Lucas do what Lucas did in Empire Strikes Back, which is he, he hired a great screenwriter and he hired a great director. And let trust them to do their job. But you give them the story you want to tell. And that's what he should have done with the prequel trilogies, by the way. I love the concept for where he was going politically with this rise of the emperor and the the birth of the empire and all this stuff. I thought that conceptually that was great. There was a lot of stuff there. But George Lucas can't direct actors very well. And he can't write dialogue to save his life. And that was the problem. And, and he was way too enamored with technology and trying to make everything look like a video game. Aside from that, there was the story elements were there and I thought were awesome. And I really liked where he could have gone had he just given it to better writers. So that being said, that's my opinion about the, the last half. So for all the people out there that think I wish George Lucas would have come back and directed all three of the final movies. No, that's not what I'm saying. But I wish he would have still oversaw the entire project from a creative standpoint like he did, because it was his story to tell. And that's where I'm at. Um, So (laughs) people may be shocked to say that, but, uh, you know, and you may disagree. That's fine. You know, I, I have no problem with that. But I think George Lucas should have had a hand in shaping the story of how these characters end, considering he created it. That's it.
2: In hindsight.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
6: That's actually one of the things that made me so hopeful about The Force Awakens was I was so happy to have a female protagonist as the main character. Not that Leia's not great, because she absolutely is. Um, And I like that she's included in in the the Facebook meme of all my favorite princesses grew up to be generals. And I I really liked Rey, Not, not just because of that, although that might have colored some of my opinions about her, too. But I liked that we didn't have a boy, that the girls in the audience had an actual, like, allegory right there instead of having to either take over, like, the boy's role, right, because the boy's usually the hero, or be the hero's girlfriend. Nope, this time we get to be the hero we got to play
3: april
2: for once i saw the force awakens in the theater a lot and i remember like after having seen it so many times that i could basically just go there and watch crowd reactions and one of the last times i saw it <laughs> the row right ahead of me but like 10 or 11 seats to the side so i could kind of see them there was i think a trio of girls probably preteen age i I guess like nine ten ish, something mm-hmm. around there. And I started watching them when I knew it was coming, when I knew that lightsaber started to shake in the snow. And when it zips by Kylo Ren's hand and lands right in Rays, yeah. I was watching those girls and their jaws dropped
6: <laughs> and
2: like gasp and everything. And when she ignites it, they looked at each other like, Are you seeing this? And I was like, that is movie magic. That is an experience that everybody should have. We had that oh, yeah. when we were kids. And now they get it. And and if there are fans out there that are pissed off at that, fuck those fans. <laughs> like, like, screw them. Yes. Like, like, how
6: can you want to take that away from somebody? Uh, selfishness does some terrible things to people. Yeah, it's
3: selfishness mixed with, I mean, we're this freaking dumpster fire right now in (laughs) society, and the world is one. When it comes to how we interact with each other, all fandoms have their toxicity. They all do. It's our turn now. But the thing is, because of how, how elevated Star Wars is in the fan culture, we've become the poster children for look at how terrible nerds are. And there is some stuff I'm, I'm kind of talking a bit about some Russian trolls and some other uh, troll related activity targeted and otherwise, but ultimately they were just building on things that were there.
2: not to choke on your aspirations.
4: Rogue One, I think I have less
1: problems with it as time has gone on. Rogue One was always the movie that I wanted to like.
4: I think that Rogue One is a competently made movie that I think creates the feel and look of Star Wars.
6: Oh, Rogue One. Chore boy. I've seen it twice. Rogue One.
7: Best fan film ever
5: made. Rogue One to me was awesome because it captured the feeling and energy and emotion of like some of the great war movies from like Force 10 from Navarone or The Great Escape or Magnificent Seven. Kind of like some of those old war movies, but about this ragtag bunch of people who were sacrificing
4: their lives, knowing that they were going to sacrifice their lives for something greater. I think perhaps it has a little too much fan service in it. It's supposed to be the first standalone movie, but I don't think it would be comprehensible if you hadn't at least seen the original Star Wars.
1: Is is this so strange to me? When You would think this would be the easiest movie to make, because this one is just... You know what the ending's supposed to be. You know where you're supposed to hit, what notes you're supposed to hit.
5: And this also kind of looked and felt much more like the original trilogy from the 70s and 80s. This had that look and feel about it that now The Mandalorian has, too. But this looked kind of, the ships look rustic. There was no polish. There was no sheen to it.
3: Yeah. Uh, Rogue One, I thought the first time. I watched it. It was really, really pretty. I mean, st- mm. stunningly gorgeous in a couple of spots. Yeah. But I thought of it as being kind of unnecessary. To the extent I think we said on our show once, when I watch A New Hope, I don't get the impression that the thing that just happened oh, was, was what, what we happened. just saw. Right? Yeah. Know, Darth Vader doesn't seem to be breathing any heavier than, oh, <laughs> oh man, I just killed a whole bunch
1: of you guys.
6: <laughs> I, did, I do definitely remember liking the movie uh, the second time through more than one, the first time I watched it.
1: And I love a good heist movie, but I couldn't tell you the names of any characters in this that weren't already established, except for maybe, I think one of them's name is... Critic or something like that, and Jane UrsO. But and this is where we see the what I call the rise of the Star Wars type, where all the female protagonists began to they fit the same physical description: petite, doe-eyed brunette, and we never really get beyond really these sort of sweeping brushstrokes of characters, but nothing concrete.
4: Um, I think it loses a bit at the end, because all of the characters are dead, and the movie goes on for another five to ten minutes. But for the most part, I like it. I really do actually like a lot of the characters in it. I like a lot of the choices it's willing to make, like killing everyone off. I can't say no to Donnie Yen in anything, though I wish he would had at least one more Kung Fu scene. Maybe while walking to the Switch and guarding the Switch, that would have been awesome. I will never say no to more Donnie Yen.
1: I was never. I, I walked out of that theater really wanting to like it, and it's a beautiful-looking movie, but narratively it just doesn't gel for me, particularly on any on any sort of character basis.
5: This is going to shock a lot of people and maybe create some dissension, but I, I put it in the top three of my Star Wars films. I honestly have it as a top three film, um, and it's creeping up on the top spot. It's it might be right behind *Empire Strikes Back*. May the force
0: be
6: with us.
2: When they said that they were going to be doing these interstitial movies, these, Mm -hmm. you know, before they called one solo, these solo movies about characters that weren't necessarily – were only tangentially like tied to the Skywalker saga but would delve into different genres and different territories and different stories, I thought that was great. I thought that was what Star Wars needed. Me too. Me too. Grow the world. Go expansive. Yes. Take this into new directions. Ultimately, I don't think that's what they did. I mean, I, I think they, they kept it no, as didn't small yeah. and contained as possible. And given the failures of kind of... Well, I mean, again, commercially, they certainly weren't failures. But looking at what tripped up the saga as a whole, and it looks like maybe they're not going to do these types of movies, at least not for a while, it's hard not to look at the, the Star Wars saga that we have right now and see Rogue One and Solo as kind of these weird oddities that don't necessarily belong. And, again, with the benefit of hindsight, I think these would have been stories, like, if if they knew what they know now, these would have (laughs) been great stories to tell as Disney Plus series. I think there was a problem of messaging... I I think a lot of people assumed and I think this was what we were told, the trilogy movies, the you know, Ray's story and Kylo Ren's story and everything, this would have a certain feel. And these spin off movies, these one offs like Rogue right. and Solo, what might have been a Boba Fett or a Obi-Wan Kenobi story, which are now being reshuffled and recycled into Disney Plus series, these were going to be very different feels, and they were going to have very different... And I think those were the places where you would find more auteur filmmakers, where you could have put the, the, the right place for Lord Miller that would give you a Star Wars movie that doesn't feel like any kind of Star Wars movie you've ever seen before. It, it would almost be a safe place for that type of experimentation. And somewhere along the way... Lucasfilm said, "No, we're not going to experiment. We're going to make these as safe and commercial and as user friendly as we want." And it's like it is funny because that happened right out of the gate. Like they they changed Rogue One in the middle of it, and it is <laughs> right. was it because they saw the two billion dollars coming back from the Force Awakens that they're like, "Nope, let's just do that. Let's steer toward that. Make these as close to that as possible."
1: Yeah, you know, they could have done something like seven, eight, and nine are your huge tent poles, right? We don't fuck with these, and then, and then all the other satellite movies could have been just like your one-offs. Let's see how this works. If this works, it's fine. If it doesn't, fine. But we still, every other year, we are still hitting these marketing. You know what I mean? We are still, we're still making the, the push to the theme parks, and we're still doing this, that, and the other. And yeah, we can give we can give these we can give these kids the move. And By kids, I mean directors and writers. We can give them their little movies as this, as a Solo, as a Boba Fett, that really won't have that tremendous an impact on the bottom line if they fail. But apparently they do have a tremendous impact on the bottom line. I, I don't know if Rogue One was considered a success. I don't think Solo was
2: solo and i is considered a failure because the final takeaway like because they they basically had to pay for that movie twice because after bringing ron howard and have to bring in new cast members like uh, michael kenneth williams was supposed to be the bad guy in that one he was going to be like a um, a motion capture character, and then he couldn't come back for the reshoots when they, like, rewrote it and had to do all these things. So they hired, um, The Vision. Paul Bettany had to play his part. That was supposed to be Michael Kenneth Williams from, from, uh, The Wire. So oh. they had to, they had to recast parts, they had to bring in the director, and basically they had to refilm almost the entire thing. So, the movie just cost so much that, that the profits couldn't make up. But yeah, um, The Force Awakens made like two billion dollars. Rogue One made a billion dollars. And I think part of that was just still riding high in the success of The Force Awakens. Um, and then, uh, The Last Jedi made almost two billion dollars. So that, like, the amount of money that Lucasfilm paid, or the, the amount of money that Disney paid for Lucasfilm was covered after three movies. Rogue One, I liked it the first time I saw it for the reasons that you mentioned earlier. And it's one that, after that, more and more about it started to bother me, and I liked it <laughs> less and less. Okay. And I watched it again. I rewatched it, and I love the look of the movie. Mm-hmm, me too. I love the feel. I love like the kind of it, it does feel a little bit dirty. It does feel a little mm-hmm. bit scabby and, and bruised. Lived and in, get, yeah, lived in. You get the sense of it, this is a wartime movie. Um, this is a movie like where the the characters fighting are really underdogs. They're mm-hmm. impoverished. It's an imp- oppressive world uh, contrasted against like the sparkly white uniforms of the stormtroopers and and Krennic, the villain too. I like the ships in this movie. I think the E-Wing ship that uh, is kind <laughs> right. of like a signature rebel transport. Um, it's like the size of a starfighter, but it's a, a troop transport. I really, really like that ship. Uh, like in terms of like just ship designs, like I, I wasn't really impressed by a lot of like the new ships and technology from the, the new trilogy, but I really like that E-Wing. Um, during the last battle above the, the planet, when oh God, you, yeah. you bring back the X-Wings and the Y-Wings, and you've got the same characters from the the trench run from the Battle of Yavin. Uh, yes. They're recycling some of that footage. I love that, but even then, like... When the, they shoot like an ion blast that takes out one of the Star Destroyers, you've got these hammerhead-shaped ships that ran the Star Destroyer into the, the shield generator complex. I love the look of those ships. And I was like, that space battle in this movie is my favorite space battle since the Battle, the battle of Endor in Return of the Jedi. I, I love the space battle at the end of this. I wish we were spending more time up there because I sure. have, I have a thing for space battles in Star Wars. That's one of my favorite things, and I don't think we've gotten nearly enough of them lately so really when it like my hang up for this movie is just it's the characters that i just didn't connect with and it's not i i was thinking for a long time i thought it was just because i know they're fated to die it's not mm-hmm. that it's that i just i don't think they were set up very well i don't really care about Jin and her dad I, and i don't know what it is i like the actors i like everybody involved but i just i i think they like they make it too complicated in a way. Um, <laughs> I don't know why Forrest Whitaker is in this movie at all. Um, he, he's not just irrelevant, but he's... Well, okay, I'll my, agree with you there. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to like Diego Luna, but I think he's playing a very generic character that at first he seems like a hard ass he's like okay he's an intelligence agent who's willing to shoot this guy in the back because he's Mm -hmm. compromised okay that's pretty hardcore Mm -hmm. but I think the rest of the movie tries way too hard to paint him as a soft good-hearted guy who's who's not that hard-ass because he doesn't shoot Jin's dad when he has the chance and he's kind of reluctant and he's a little bit too soft-spoken and Diego Luna just kind of looks too close to a pretty boy that I never really got the edge. I didn't feel like he was a hard enough badass character.
5: Dude, you're really nitpicking right now. <laughs> but but,
2: the, but these, are, these are the things that are hanging me up. And then, and then the, two, um, the Donnie Yen character, who I thought was going to be this really cool because he's kind of force-sensitive maybe, but mm-hmm. he doesn't really use that. He's like this blind Satoichi character but he only does that once like he to beat up some stormtroopers and never does it again. And I, I do love the droid. I love K2SO. I thought Alan Tudyk's droid character was fun. Yeah, so he- there's – I like a lot of the trappings. I love the look and the feel of the movie, but not the story or the characters.
5: Okay. So. Um, I, I- – I love having debates with you about this stuff. I love, no, I'm serious. I mean, I, I love intelligent debate. I absolutely do. And I love the fact that you have a totally different opinion than mine, even when yours is completely wrong. Um, I th- <laughs> no, but I you no, everything you said makes sense. And I've heard that argument before. You're certainly not alone in that. So it's, it's not like you're a one off kind of thing. Um, I, I disagree with you. I did feel something for these characters. And I think the moment that got me was when Diego Luna. Is it like when he kind of tells uh, Jin at that one point, he's like, Look, every one of us has done something in our past that we're not happy with, we're not proud of. And this whole, like that whole speech that he gives her about that, don't say that we're not risking anything and blah, 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 you know, that th- there was something about that got me. That got me. And I was like, dude, now I want to see backstory for this guy, which fast forward, you know, <laughs> eventually someday yeah. we will. Cool, cool, cool little plug for the future. But I do want to see more of that now. And and here's the thing: there's a very good chance that if they do a really good series on Disney Plus about the the pre-Rogue One events, you may end up liking Rogue One more. Possibly. That would be, you know that would be interesting because it'll give you something to care about the characters or something like that. But I just you know it, there was I I just disagree with you. I think that there was so many things about this. First of all, I would even say the last I do agree with you. The last battle, the the space battle the lightsaber battle with Darth Vader and the ground battle, I think were the best battles in star Wars history. I would put them above the battle on Endor. I would put them above anything in the new pre in the new sequel trilogy. I would put them above it. I put that above the battle for Hoth, everything about that. And the fact that they had three things going on at one time, kind of like they did in return of the Jedi, which mm-hmm. was clever, which was very clever taking us to different battles. But I, I I think that the filming the of, of that those sequences is just like mesmerizing like I would I would stop whatever I'm doing if Rogue One was on TV in the background or something and that battle sequence came on everything else gets put on pause and I'm gonna watch that through
2: I will concede I love like the last 45 minutes to an hour of the movie you're right like the actions, like not just the space battle but the battle on Scarif on the planet like yeah. on the beaches and the jungle with the rebel yes. forces and everything like that and the at and the AT-ATs come like, out and dude. everything and, like, you, at first you only just hear them and they're like yep. covered in the smoke and the trees and everything and, and Donnie Yen is the first one he's like uh okay <laughs> on. start running <laughs> um and then with with Jin and uh and Cassian infiltrating uh and, and going undercover and everything to get in there i yeah i liked a lot about it. i i thought all of that was great and i agree that some of yeah i would i would say in terms of like a climactic sequence for like the last act mm-hmm. that might be my favorite of the five new movies it might be i agree um, i agree I just, and i think but it, was, I just, it was yeah it's yeah. The, the first two acts are are <laughs> right. significantly weaker for me
5: i i get that i get that and and that's you're entitled to your opinion that's a very interesting take on it i i'm i'm curious now that we have this conversation i'm curious to know if they do like i said if they do a really good series about diego luna's character um and give him more depth give you something to feel for him give you a reason to want to root for him um i you know i'm i'm wondering if you ever revisit rogue one with a different set of eyes little thought
2: experiment, because this occurred to me after the movie had come out, but I was thinking about it a little bit later. Okay. When they had committed to recasting a young Han Solo, that they were going to do solo adventure stories, Han Solo adventure, with a different actor, they, yes. they, they were basically saying, you know what, Harrison Ford is one version, but we're giving you a different version of Han Solo, different actor, and this is what is going on. Yep. After they did that, I would put forth that Rogue One would be better if the Jin Erso character, Felicity Jones's character... If that was Princess Leia, if they rewrote it that this was how Princess Leia joined the rebellion, and her relationship wasn't like with the, like the guy who built the wow. Death Star, but if it was about her realizing what her father had been secretly up to her entire life. If she went from a imperial loyalist in the Senate and discovered huh. the truth of this rebellion and the truth of the Empire, and it was about her conversion and leading this first rebel mission to steal these plans.
5: Wow, that's really deep. That's really good. I'll, I I would see that movie. That's really interesting. I I hadn't thought about that. And I uh, like I said, I'm I'm too much of a fan of Rogue One to want them to to change it or do anything. To have wished they did something different, but you make a very valid argument that that would have been a cool movie and maybe would have brought more people into it. You know, there might have been more. I mean, even though the movie still made a billion dollars, can you imagine if it was Princess Leia's origin kind of thing? You know, yeah. like who knows what that would have done. That's a a really good point. I'll give you that. The only
2: thing that might have tripped that up is if they had done that from the beginning and the timeline, Rogue One came out two weeks before Carrie Fisher died.
5: Oh, God. (laughs) Jesus.
2: That
0: might have.
1: Rogue One is a weird movie to make because nobody can continue from that movie. You have a definitive ending for every single character with exceptions of Vader and Leia and I guess some of the pilots, but... I I couldn't name two of those guys, yeah. but I just mean it's it's it was and it's a it was just an odd choice to do a, a Star Wars story about the thing that leads to the special thing in Star Wars: The New Hope.
2: I think it was poorly conceived. I think somebody had the idea, hey, what's the story of how did they get the Death Star plans that start off Star Wars? And somebody's like, oh, that would be a good movie, and they didn't really think about it. no, it wouldn't. I mean, I would even say. If they had committed that they were going to do a young Han Solo movie and they would by necessity have to recast him, Rogue One should have been a young Princess Leia movie, and Felicity Jones should have been playing young Leia
1: oh sure yeah that it that makes more sense because you can keep expanding on the brands from those characters exactly. right yeah you could you see the end of Han Solo's story, but there's all that interim years leading up to Star Wars, or even like if you wanted to do after Jedi, fine. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's a lot that you you have that name recognition, and you could easily have expanded upon that character, any of the characters. But they chose to do <laughs> out of the gate a movie that has a really <laughs> huge dead end for everybody. Right. Anyway, but I, yeah, it, I, I think so.
2: honestly, I think they got to a point where they were like, we just killed off our entire cast of heroes. Like, what are we giving the audience that's going to like bring their spirits up. Let's just have Darth Vader, because people like Darth Vader, and we'll give him do, like, let's have Vader. him do something cool.
5: There has recently been, I'm sure you've seen it, uh, a reimagined fight with Darth Vader and Ben Kenobi. Yes, on, I've seen it. Okay. Everybody like if you haven't seen that, you have to go watch that. I forgot what its technical name is. It's like Star Wars scene one, two, three, something, blah, 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 reimagined or re envisioned. Mm-hmm. And it's basically a couple of stunt guys in CGI that redid a a Darth Vader and Obi-Wan fight because of seeing what Darth Vader did at the end of rogue one and making me be like, Oh my God, that's the guy that I wanted to be afraid of the whole time. Um, Now, I can't watch episode 1 or episode 4 <laughs> without substituting that battle sequence in now this this reimagined fight that somebody just put on the internet. I need that to I need Disney to cut that, buy it, put it in the movie. <laughs> I need that fight sequence now from now on. Like that was just that was so Rogue One did something for Darth Vader that I don't think people appreciate enough.
0: And now a special look at Star Wars The Last Jedi.
5: Wait, ben. You must have a thousand questions Where's Ray?
0: Why are you here?
2: Something inside me is awake Part 3 The Galaxy is in Chaos We are the spark of it. The light, the fire
0: We'll burn the first order down I was raised to fight For the first time I had something to fight for Come on!
2: I need someone to show me my
7: place, in all this. The Last Jedi, best since Empire.
4: I absolutely adore The Last Jedi. I think it is the best Star Wars movie that has come out since Empire Strikes Back.
3: I thought that The Last Jedi was thought-provoking and occasionally very surprising and laid some interesting seeds.
6: It did lay some interesting seeds, and we'll talk about whether or not those seeds came to bear anything or not.
5: looked beautiful. Shot beautiful. I like Ryan Johnson as a director. I like his vision. I would have much rather him just get his own trilogy right off the bat
4: and not be a part of this sequel trilogy. I think that it was willing to do things that took risks, that it forced you to challenge your views about a lot of lore that the series had that it took risks with
1: the characters. This is where the Kylo Ren story really gets interesting to me, where the character, where Adam Driver really gets to show his chops.
4: It was the first time since Yoda and Empire that we had a truly emotionally satisfying explanation of the Force, that it kind of in a way took back the series from the sort of aristocracy of bloodlines and opened it up to a real possibility of you don't know where the movie's going to go after that, that they broke enough of the toys, but they didn't break the toy of Star Wars. And I know that a lot of people disagree with me on that, but I really think both uh, visually from a writing standpoint and on a rewatch, you really see a lot of the choices and risks that it took.
1: The scene where Luke throws the lightsaber away is, is indicative of, I think everything this movie was trying to say. And I'm not saying that he said it perfectly. And I, I, personally liked a lot of the decisions that ryan johnson went with where he said okay we're gonna you know there's all these expectations of where these movies are going to go but we're not going to do that we're going to go somewhere else
4: i'm not going to say it's a perfect movie it certainly has flaws but i think that everyone's at the top of their game and um I I like a lot about it.
6: I liked the a plot in that movie. Everything with Ray and Luke and Kylo Ren was amazing, and I did not much care for the b plot with them on the casino planet and Benicio del Toro. It was our. It was okay. I it just it didn't work very well for me. I like it better the more I watch it.
3: The more that I know it's coming and it's there because I know what sure. the whole intent of it was was to establish this sort of idea that war is. What is, to, to, what is it good for? What is it good for? The bottom line.
6: Getting rich people richer? All yeah.
3: Right. And that was that was an interesting thing, especially if you're doing Star Wars as allegory, which mm-hmm. most Star Wars is.
1: Right. That would have been a really intriguing thing to talk, and it still could in the future. Who knows? So Who knows? While a lot of people liked Cantor Bright, I always felt that sort of story isn't a Star Wars story. And Maybe I'm contradicting myself because I'm saying Johnson was going to take it in places that the franchise had never really thought of visiting, but the idea that the only people that profit from war are war profiteers is, to me, more of a Star Trek idea. That's like a cloud-minder thing. That's not space fantasy. I l-
5: yeah, that's probably it. I mean, I didn't like the movie, but it wasn't because... I didn't like the fact that he took it somewhere new. That's not the case. I think a lot of people feel that way. Um, I just feel like it doesn't fit.
1: And like you, Ryan, my problems with the movie never mirrored like the, the big SJW complaints. Like I didn't think Rose Tico was a great character, and it wasn't because she's an Asian girl or anything like that. I just didn't think she had much to do. I never understood the uh, arguments against the movie because they weren't the right arguments to me. Do you know what I mean, Ryan? Like
2: I, I absolutely do. <laughs> that was one of the reasons why I tuned out was because I was like, I don't like this movie, but the people who hate this movie are not the same reasons and I don't want to get lumped in with them. So I'm just not going to talk about it.
1: Right, right. So my my problems with it were never the big quote-unquote like, quote, problems that people had with it my problems with it were that there were two of the major characters virtually went nowhere with things and like you i think yeah we had a happy ending for the for the big three right for luke leia and han they had their ending and i felt like the ending just kept getting prolonged for these guys and they didn't even and like yeah i get it life does not always provide a happy ending but in a space fantasy maybe that's where you want to go with it let the past die
2: The five films that make up Disney's Star Wars Phase 1 were realized by four different directors. Disney also hired at least four other directors during this time that did not end up bringing their visions to the screen. The Force Awakens was shepherded by J.J. Abrams. Rogue One was directed by Gareth Edwards, but there were lots of reshoots and rumors that it was taken away from him. Who is the other guy you mentioned?
1: Uh, Gilroy, Gilroy, Terry Gilroy.
2: Yeah. Uh, the Last Jedi apparently was all Ryan Johnson's baby, for better or for worse. The Last Jedi was supposed to have been followed up by a Boba Fett movie directed by Josh Trank. That, however, was scuttled after his very sort of public meltdown after Fantastic Four. Uh, and then the movie Solo was moved up the docket. Solo was originally supposed to come out after Star Wars Episode Nine next year. Or this year, I guess. So instead, Solo got moved up, which was originally directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. They were fired halfway through the shooting, and Ron Howard was brought in to finish and actually reshoot almost everything. They even had to recast some parts because of the different reshoots. And then finally, The Rise of Skywalker was originally going to be directed by Colin Trevorrow. He left the project or was removed from the project before it started filming, and J.J. Abrams was brought on to finish. So, you shared with me a, a link to an article, I think it was in Paper Magazine, Uh, that sort of talked about how these movies kept on basically negating each other, especially like the three saga films. But even from the get-go, The Force Awakens, as J.J. Abrams is visioning this, he's basically starting off this movie as if events from Return of the Jedi decades earlier didn't happen or they were inconsequential he is negating essential aspects of that movie such as the success of the rebel alliance and their happy ending and everything he's doing away with that he's basically going back to where it was in the original star wars when the heroes are this tiny little underfunded rebellion against this tyrannical like all imposing like villain order that has the same look the same iconography as the empire and he sets this up as a reboot, remix of the first one, and then that's followed up by Ryan Johnson. And I, I loved like the the paper articles. Like, so if you'd asked Ryan Johnson, did you like anything about the Force Awakens? He probably would have said, "I sure don't," and because <laughs> it really sets up like the way he treats Poe Dameron, the way he treats Luke, the way he treats this whole setup. As everything is like, no, he discards a lot of the things that Abrams set up. And then when Abrams comes back, he does the same thing to franchise. So basically, like you, you keep on, they keep on resetting the movies, so that by the time you got to episode nine, it's like this movie had to do a whole trilogy's worth of storytelling in it.
1: Right, you're almost almost like you're seeing three drafts as they go. If you just want to look at J.J. Abrams as a filmmaker, he hasn't, in my opinion, anyway, he's never really done anything innovative. I think he he puts great spins on things that we've already seen, and certainly he did thankfully breathed new life into star trek you know what i mean but by making it star wars in many ways yeah but um i don't think you he could ever be called an innovative guy or a visionary but i think you could call him a guy who knows who knows how the stuff works he knows how to serve the audience what they think they want i think abrams's whole intention was just it was a nostalgia remix just to get people reacclimated with the idea of Star Wars and introduce and just hit the right notes. It was like a great it was a really good cover band version of a song we all love. So then
2: by the time the next movie comes out in this Ryan Johnson, I mean, I think he did what i think they needed to do a movie earlier which was he's like okay let's actually advance this story let's take this in a new direction let's push this thing let's let's surprise the audience a little bit but it's a weird thing to do when the movie that you just had is all about nostalgia and is all about just reminding the audience what they loved like it's it felt like a weird thing and especially when they keep saying you know thinking about this as a trilogy of movies and then part of a nine part saga and everything essentially when you have episode not seven is now just a rehash of episode four and episode eight is now saying screw episode seven nothing about that was important we're going to do something completely different it's like well this is the penultimate chapter you've got to set things up for the big finish and you're not doing that because by the time you get to the end of episode eight I felt like nothing mattered across either of these two movies. That was, I loved The Force Awakens when I saw it because of how it made me feel as one movie in isolation. Once it's no longer a movie in isolation, once it becomes part of a bigger saga, which you have to acknowledge when you see episode eight, then I'm like, well, now I don't like this movie very much. And that's kind of what broke my heart as a Star Wars fan for a long time, is because by the time I got to episode eight, it's like these movies just screwed each other and I, I don't know what they do from this point on because I mentioned this when I was on the Film and Water podcast talking to Rob and Shag and Max Romero in that episode the la- the very end of episode 8 you've got the heroes and the whole resistance is in the Millennium Falcon it's like a dozen people and you've got your villains as like the remix versions of Darth Vader and Grand Moff Tarkin it's like you're back to square one where the saga began in 1977 you haven't advanced anything you haven't pushed the story forward
1: here's the thing i think if, you, if they and i'm going to compare this to another franchise but if they wanted to go the our tour route which seemed like that's what they were doing with ryan johnson to me you're giving this guy your baby and saying do whatever you want like if you look at the aliens franchise right mm-hmm. those first four movies are all done with very four different points of view Mm-hmm. The only thing uniting them is the protagonist. And even in four, it's a clone. <laughs> but, but but still, each of them has their own visual identity and own thematic identity. But they're all alien movies, right? And whether or not you like them, whether or not they're good, is that's that's a different discussion. But each of them has a point of view. And the first two Disney movies certainly have a point of view. And they might be opposing. And that would have been fine if maybe – A third person had been allowed to do the third movie or if Johnson had been allowed to continue wherever he wanted to go with it. But bringing in the guy who just does the nostalgia thing is politically smart, I guess, and certainly, I think, to some saves it, but it doesn't do anything interesting with it.
2: Right. To save their skins, to save arguably the franchise and the goodwill, it needed to be two and a half hours of fan service. Uh, Right, And that's what it was. Now, Avengers Endgame, which came out a few months earlier, was a crap load of fan service, but I felt at least it was in service of an actual story that warranted it. This one didn't have the story that warranted it. This was was J.J. Abrams saying, I'm going to throw emotional beat after emotional beat after emotional beat and just try and close your eyes and come with me on this and just remember what you liked about Star Wars. And for me as an audience... It worked, but just barely, I'm going to say. it. I gave it just enough to ultimately say I enjoyed the movie, but I can't say that I recommend it as a good movie.
1: Yeah, I can't even – honestly, I did a rewatch before our conversation. I saw almost all of The Force Awakens, but I fast-forwarded through bits. I fast-forwarded through whole bits of The Last Jedi – Canto Bright, could not wait to get through. Yeah. Anything with Poe Dameron, could not wait to get through. As far as I'm concerned, that movie ends when Ray and, and Ben part ways. And while I am moved beyond tears when Luke and Leia share that final scene together, it still gets me. That part of it's great. But as soon as that ends, I'm kind of left adrift. And I think, okay, maybe there's only one way up. There's only one direction, and that's up. Because you have Rey – it's I mean, this whole thing's really Ray's journey and her amazing friends. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah, it's yeah. just it doesn't those two other characters do not add anything. And I know I have a lot of people who are Han and Leia fans, but once you get to Jedi, they're kinda useless for the most part. What? That whole that Endor thing just felt it feels like well, we gotta give them something to do. You, and could again, have, it's-
2: you could have put anybody else on that Rebel Strike team. Han could and Chewie could have been piloting the Falcon. Lando could have been on the ground. None of that right. stuff matters. That was Luke's story. It almost wasn't really right. bringing Han back. And I think Harrison Ford knew that and was pissed about that for decades. <laughs> and I, I think you're right because, in as much as this has been Ray's journey through these three movies, once she leaves, the like once she has her confrontation with Ben in the in Snoke's throne room, her story, her arc is over in that movie. From there on, from like the last half hour, it's Luke's turn to shine, and like she has to take a back seat. And I think that's why you're like, eh. It's a cool looking face off when Luke squares off against Kylo Ren, but there was always something about it that felt a little bit unsatisfying. And,
1: and I'll tell you what really killed me about that scene was Luke is causing a diversion. He doesn't tell anyone what he's doing. You're trying to buy them time to leave, but you should probably let somebody know that that's what you're doing because they're all just staring at you thinking that you're about to die. And the fact that Poe Dameron figures this out, who's never fucking met Luke, right? (laughs) Not Leia, his twin sister. And I'm not saying that they're going to share the same intuitions or anything, but she'd be like, I think I know what he's going to do Mm -hmm. because he's my twin brother and we've trained and hung out for 30 years at this point.
2: I I think they were kind of a prisoner. They were almost held hostage by how just naturally charismatic and likable Oscar Isaac is because his character was not supposed to be a big deal. From, like, The Force Awakens. His character was supposed to die in the first,
4: like, half an hour. Yeah,
2: in the crash. And J.J. just liked him. He liked having him on set. He liked the energy. like liked the performance. So he brought the character back to be, like, the rebel pilot who saves the day at the end. I, I think Ryan Johnson then had to give a-, a major plot, a major story arc to this character who really wasn't a two-dimensional character. He wasn't necessarily that interesting. He's just, like, he's kind of like the-, the Maverick without the angst. He's more of the Iceman. So, yeah, he is okay. kind of vice man. So that's a that's a fun supporting character, but that's not necessarily a guy with a lot of depth that you need to explore. But they did that, and I I have had this trouble with the Last Jedi because the whole comfort- i i understand that ryan johnson wanted to make the point that his whole story arc the whole theme of the movie is about failure and needing to yeah. lose and having to learn these lessons but right from the get go he leads this mission against this star destroyer and leia slaps him in the face and says you shouldn't yeah. do that you've got a lot of people killed you have to be smarter than that this takes place 5 minutes after he did the exact same thing in the last movie and it worked then and she had his yeah. blessing then so, okay, you're telling, you're, you're doing an interesting subversion of that idea, but it feels contradictory to what you just gave me a scene earlier with these two characters. And, okay. And that, so. that was sort of the, the, the discontinuity. And then by the end, of, by the time we got to this movie, they, I felt like they were forcing me to understand, like, okay, Poe has got to grow up and he has got to take on the leadership of the Resistance. He's got to take over for Leia. Yeah. And the whole time I'm thinking, going back to your point and what we were saying about how it's about the people coming together and they need this reason to rally around, I was the focus of that particular thread of the story shouldn't have been on Poe; it should have been Finn, who rises yeah. up from a, a traitor—or or, well, what they call the traitor—but a deserter of the First Order, brought into the uh, brought into the resistance basically just because he's tagging along because he has a crush on a girl, but he becomes a believer and he becomes the hero of the resistance and he eventually becomes the leader who unites the galaxy against the people who took hi- who kidnapped him and brainwashed him when he was a kid. I think yeah. that would have been a better hero's journey for Finn and just keep Poe on the sidelines as another tag supporting character.
4: But Oscar Isaac was just too good. <laughs> Oscar Isaac is great. Um, he who's his charm, even when he's given really bad material. I loved his character arc in The Last Jedi. I, I think it's almost perfect because it doesn't just tweak Star Wars. It tweaks every character like that in every franchise and turns it on its head because it's not just this is the the guy who doesn't follow the rules, who's just that damn good, the rogue cop, the guy who just – it's so crazy it just might work that guy and then there's the screamy boss who gets in the way who just doesn't understand and what i love is that a lot of the complaints people have about that arc is that everything holdo does makes absolute sense in a lot of ways leia was not helping poe in that movie because she would slap him across the face and demote him and then 10 minutes later he Unlearns the thing that he just should have learned because she enables him and says, and then he's like, she's like, you can't just jump in an X-Wing and blow things up. Then stuff happens and then he just goes, hey, uh, want me to go jump in an X-Wing and go blow some stuff up? And she kind of smiles and I think it, it's kind of a great Leia moment because clearly she's reminded of somebody Mm -hmm. and i think that she's kind of his favorite i think that he probably gets invited into staff meetings that his rank doesn't quite give him things she feeds him in on stuff that he probably shouldn't learn because he's kind of her favorite soldier and she's kind of a mother figure to him where holdo doesn't know him from adam and it makes sense that she wouldn't let him in on on the plan or anything like she just says hey stand by we'll let you know and I kind of love that, that the screamy boss who comes in and wags their finger at the hotshot is actually right. And you want to watch that again, and she is super patient with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I love the idea of going off on the super elaborate scheme and plan, having it blow up in their faces. If he had just stayed back, uh, they would have kept their fleet. Um, they would have been able to bring way more ships, including their entire fighter battalion down to crate, and the thing would have worked. He's the one who actually puts people in danger. And the whole thing at the end, there's two decisions that there's three moments with Poe after he has his character arc that are just absolutely wonderful. One of them is uh, right before Holdo does the big uh, light speed explodey thing and wipes out pretty much like, I don't know how many star destroyers it was the rebel soldier who is played by uh, Carrie Fisher's daughter
2: Oh, Billy Lord, yeah, yeah.
4: Billy Lord says she's running away, and Poe does a thing that he didn't before, which is he notices and goes, no, she's not. He sees what she's doing early. And the same thing with, you know, at the end where he's like, you know, Finn is ready to go out there and, and, you know, oh, Luke Skywalker's facing all those guys alone? No, we have to go help him. Poe just goes, no, this is not what it is on the surface. We need to pull back the same way as when they were in those, like, speeders racing towards the Doomsday device. And it's like... You know, he learns and goes, no, yeah, we could win that thing and blow up that doomsday device, but they're going to get in here anyways, and I'm not going to lose all of our people. We're all going to die, and there's a point where you need to retreat, and I kind of – I like that. So I, I do like Oscar Isaac in it. I just don't think – they ever planned any of this stuff very particularly well, and I don't mean just in terms of – I don't need them to know every, where every board and every nail is and they don't need to plan this out perfectly. It's not architecture. Mm-hmm. But have an idea where the themes are going. Have an idea of who your important characters are and where basically you'd kind of want to go with this. Because, I mean, the original trilogy, they make it up as they go along sort of too. But once they make a decision on something, they don't go into Return of the Jedi and go, oh, yeah, that guy's really not your father. He was just messing with you.
1: Right. I would argue that Poe to Johnson is Rose Tico to Abrams. Because these were characters that I don't think either of them wanted, but were foisted upon them. Like, Poe became all of a sudden a big, you know, he's on all the marketing, he, he's, he's a major action figure, mm-hmm. but he wasn't even supposed to survive. He was just left in as an afterthought. So now there's this tertiary character that was really going to be nothing more than a glorified cameo, as necessary as Max von Sydow, just to propel this other character onto his journey. So now Johnson has to come up with something for him. And he has to use these older characters, progress the newer ones. And I'm I'm convinced he's not really interested in telling a Star Wars story at all. I mean, he's, it, it, it's, it's the dark fable, if you will. I'm not sure if the merch was – the merch kind of started to tank around this time, right? I, I think this is where you got to see a lot of the peg warmers when I didn't see the toys moving off the shelves as quickly for The Last Jedi. The bloom was off the rose for a lot of people and maybe they needed to move up. Disney by they disney needed to move up the whole galaxy's edge thing just to just to really keep this machine going and i think maybe they were hoping that giving somebody kind of some leeway would really stoke a fire and keep things going further and give them the sort of the princess audience that they wanted and i mean but i mean by princess is like how disney princesses was is a huge (laughs) huge wing of, of of profit for them like that yeah that's why you buy star wars because you're trying to corner the quote unquote the boys market and get this market share and this money and it wasn't doing it in the way that they wanted and so maybe they thought they could take a chance but they're competing against themselves with every year, every year they're releasing a new movie and there's only so much shelf space on the toy racks and they're even and there's also still doing that rebels tv show they're just constantly cannibalizing their own audi- their own market their own merchandising audience
2: if the directors aren't happy with what they're being handed, you would think they would have needed a more of a steady guiding hand, and I guess, I mean, if there's a, a problem, a lack of cohesion and a lack of unity from one movie to the other, I, I mean, I think it has to fall to Kathleen Kennedy. I mean, if, if she was not the Kevin Feige of this universe, then is that what they need? I, I mean, I guess, did this franchise need an overarching vision, and why didn't it have
1: that? I think, well, I think everyone thinks the buck stops with her, but it ultimately stops with Bob Iger, I would imagine. I mean, he still has to okay everything, right? He's looking at the profit sheets, and so everything has to go where he wants it to. So I I, I don't think all the responsibility can be placed on on her, but these are amazingly successful movies, so I've never been able to understand why there's so much sort of behind, like every, I get it, every movie has problems, and it's amazing that any movie is completed, but... It seems like – and maybe it's just because of the public eye on these movies, but these seem just extremely problematic, right, (laughs) from from, from the the Force Awakens
2: onward. And is it because they were rushing them too quickly? I mean before – Maybe. The Force Awakens comes out. It makes all the money in the world up to that point. It's the – biggest success. Rogue One is coming out a year later. It's it's still in production, but at that point, they're already talking about Disney hates the first cut of the movie, and they're bringing in somebody else to reshoot it and do all these changes. Like, you haven't, like, the audience hasn't seen this. Why do you have to, like, if you go back and look at the first teaser of Rogue One, it's got huge, jaw-dropping money shots that are not in the movie. It's like, why were these changes made? What was the test audience that, like, that said this movie isn't going to work? What you know, quadrant of the of people were you trying to appeal for this one. Why was it so rocky behind the scenes? And I think some of the spin off movies were just naturally ill conceived, but I mean it's easier to say that in retrospect. And and yeah, like with the the solo directors, with Lord and Miller, I mean like, what was the vetting process? It, because I've heard that, I mean, there were, I actors, there were actors complaining about it, but I heard one of the big complaints was coming from Lawrence Kasdan, the writer, was saying, you hired me to write this script, and none of my dialogue is making it into these shots, so what's the deal? And did they bow to pressure from him to write it, or was it, were they going over budget because of these reshoots? Like, what was going on, like, why, and... and I I remember when they hired Colin Trevorrow, they made that decision right after Jurassic World came out, and I thought Jurassic World was pretty shitty, so I wasn't excited about that. So when when he was leaving, I'm like, fine, I don't care if he he leaves the project. When they brought J.J. Abrams back, I'm like, at that point, the Last Jedi hadn't come out, and they had been hyping the hell out of Ryan Johnson. They were like, "This is the second coming. This is the guy. to right. Who can give every Star Wars movie to Ryan Johnson after this. Is he
1: gonna get his own trilogy. Yeah, they're like, yeah.
2: They, they're like, we wanted him to do eight and nine, but scheduling wouldn't allow it. So he's gonna get his own trilogy to do his own stuff. It's like, okay, he's taking it in a new direction. Then why are you bringing JJ back at that point when The Last Jedi hasn't even come out yet? It's like, did they anticipate the fallout and they knew that they needed that? I don't know."
1: I think it's odd that they hire people that kind of have their own brand and own – I mean, well, the Jurassic World team. I mean they were pretty untested, and I was amazed that they were given a huge franchise movie as like the second thing they did after a small indie movie, right? But what I think what Disney saw was, okay, these are people that can take studio notes and put out a movie that's going to make a lot of money. And I I, I don't know the thinking behind hiring people like Lord and Miller who have a very strong point of view – do you know what I mean? It'd be like this is an extreme case, but like if you said, "Hey, Stanley Kubrick, do you want to direct a Star Wars movie?" He's like, "Yeah, I'll do a direct a Star Wars movie." But guess what you're going to get? <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then and then and then at and then midway through, they're like, "Holy shit, Stanley Kubrick's directing a Stanley Kubrick movie. This is the 50th take of a hand just lighting a lightsaber." And we're in the ninth <laughs> month of production. What so are we going to e. do? Jones has been crying on set for nine <laughs> hours. Stressed <She laughs> right. stop. Right. He won't Some let kind him of stop, Chewy dude. mask keeps, keeps <laughs> jumping through a door at her. <laughs> I'm a big Chris and Lord fan. I've liked 99% of the things that they've done. This is where my problem with the hiring the uh, the young our tours thing that Lucasfilm was doing. <laughs> you know what you're going to get when you hire these guys. Like, you know what the attitude that, that they're going to bring. And it's not like these guys haven't worked with a mega, mega corporation before, having done the Lego movie, having worked on Spider-Verse, although that, that seemed to be them kind of unshackled. They have a very interesting point of view on things, I think. And if, if Lucasfilm didn't want a jokey solo, then they never should have started with the two guys that do some of the greatest jokey films that, that we've seen in the last five or six years. Guys that really have an interesting point of view and that and that have, I think, a very I don't want to say subversive, but they have a very biting, funny, smart way of approaching things. And I think a character like Han Solo, who's supposed to be a funny, smart guy, would have benefited greatly from this. But to me, this is like if DC Comics hired David Mamet to do Superman. Yeah, I'd love to see that. But you're never going to get David Mamet's take on Superman from DC Comics. Because he's Mammoth's gonna have to hit certain points and not go to certain places where Mammoth goes. And that's that's this. Uh the fact that what were there was there was rumors that um the actor who played Han Solo was like reaching out to Disney and saying, Look at what these guys are making me do, and that uh, Lord and Miller were making actors do too many takes of a scene or just too much ad libbing or it was taking too long to do something. It's not like this was their first job. And it's not like People don't talk around Hollywood. So they would have a reputation for, for, for their work ethic and their work methods. So I have no idea, no idea why this went the way it did. And then they, who do they get to replace him? Ron Howard. And I'm nothing against Ron Howard, but I can't ever say Ron Hi- Howard is a remarkable director. I'd say he's very good at, at servicing sort of by rote movies. But I'd never call him a visionary, which is probably why he would be the perfect choice for this, because he will do what he needs to do to get the movie out. But it's never going to be anything like, hey, did you see that Ron Howard movie? It's going to be, oh, did you see Backdraft? It's 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 never going to be uh, a signature piece, right? You can look at a series like Harry Potter that went through a number of different directors, and they still had, uh, they had a similar look. They kept the cast – even when they went darker and darker with, with the third and fourth movies and that and, and their choice of directors there, they still managed to feel like Harry Potter movies and they still were Harry Potter. And yes, they did have a blueprint in the seven novels. But Disney should have a blueprint for where they want to go with these things because these things are not movies in and of themselves, right? These are not stories. These are not our tour-driven stories. These are big commercials for their theme parks for their toys and everything has to be set in place long before day one of shooting because you have to get those toy molds ready you have to you know you have to get your baby yodas ready these aren't movies these are parts of a greater marketing push so that's that's what confuses me because if you go to the marvel route the 5g route can you tell me any movies that stand out directorially to you really directorially yeah. Uh,
2: no, I mean, I mean it's, it's a house style. Right. I mean, there and might be a, be a few little kind of like flourishes, but I mean, as much as I hate to say it, I mean, I, I could never tell you that the guy who directed Creed also directed Black Panther.
1: And that sucks. Right. I, I love Creed. Right. And I loved Ryan Coogler after that. But, Joe Johnson. Yeah, you cannot yeah. tell me Captain America is a Joe Johnson movie. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> right. it's, that's the sort of thing that Disney should have done all along to control the narrative of one, your press, and two – how these franchises and how these characters develop, then that's what they should have done. And I know that episodes one through six, a lot of that stuff was made up on the spot. A lot of that stuff was fly by night. Yes, that's fine. And that was George Lucas's whole thing. And after Star Wars, it is his vision, right? Because Star Wars editing saved that thing. Right. But after that, it's it's all him, kind of. But you know what I'm saying. right? But knowing what you know, <laughs> and knowing that you're going to shepherd this billion dollar acquisition you damn well better have a good sense of where you want it to go and what you want these characters to do and how you want this thing to look perform and and be and i i think the problem was from day one they're trying to be all things to all people and you can't be and yeah you can have the one-off movies like rogue one but clearly somebody had a point of view the director and writer where they wanted rogue one to go it didn't pound out so so A studio does what it always does. It'll bring in somebody else to finish it or to fix it. It happens all the time, but it really shouldn't happen on a movie like this or movies like this. Like you you don't say, hey, Lord Miller, I'm going to give you Han Solo. Give me the wisecracking Jonah Hill, Channing Tatum kind of thing that you do. But don't do that. Don't don't do the process that you do to get to that point while we're giving you the directive to make the movie that we want you to make. Then don't hire them. You know what I mean? It, it never made sense. And I think if you have people that have strong points of view and they're answering to Kathleen Kennedy, Bob Iger, you know, I, every design is probably scrutinized and wondered, how Toyota can we make this? Is this a character that we can sell? Is this? You're not making a movie. You're making these giant commercials, and that, that can't be fun for anybody. That's what they were trying to do when they give these directors a, a shot to tell the stories that Disney wants them to tell the way that directors want to tell it. But they don't give them the chance, and when they do give them the chance, they backpedal from you know from eight to nine.
2: That's what I'm curious about: is did something make them gun shy in the middle of this and make them rethink that decision? If they, I gotta if say, it's if emerged. their initial impulse was to give these young, hotshot filmmakers a chance to tell a bold story in their style, because you're right, they they didn't I I, I they didn't do they didn't do the Marvel method, which was to pluck directors who had like one independent movie or people who came from TV, people who knew how to work within a system and just kind of plucked them in the... Sur- they didn't do that route. They went more of the DC route, which was try to get interesting artistic filmmakers and everything like that and give them... And then they handcuffed them or they kneecapped them or somewhere along the way. And I wonder, was that a reaction to something external? Or did it just the, the internal politics and the internal machine of Disney... Caught up with the, the 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 branches kind of creative drive or something like that. Was that just Bob Iger or Alan Fe- Horn or somebody just coming down and telling Kathleen, nope, we we can't let them do that. You have to rein them in." I don't know. Were they responding to something else, some some failure, some perceived failure, some perceived success?
1: I don't know. I think it's somewhere in between. I mean, these movies have to make tons of money, and if anything is a threat to that, it's got to. It they're not trying. <laughs> <laughs> they're not trying to make art. You know what I, mean? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. At the end of the day, yeah. the of yeah, the day they're, they're in the business of making money. The business of show, Ryan. The yeah. business of show. Of course.
0: Hi. Well, as we wrap up production, I just want to take this moment to, to thank an incredibly talented cast and crew for all their hard work. And to the fans out there, I hope you've enjoyed the pictures uh, that I've been sharing, pictures that I've taken from the set of
1: Can can we even say the name of the movie?
4: Solo,
6: a Star Wars story?
4: Oh, boy. Um...
6: Uh, Solo was alright. First time we tried to watch it, I stopped about 15 minutes in because I wasn't interested in it, I guess.
4: It did strangely
3: take me two times. This was the only one I've not seen in the theater. Yeah,
6: we didn't see it in the theater.
1: It took me a couple of times to watch it. I really wanted to like Solo. I really did.
3: This movie
5: is unfairly panned and kind of talked about, and it's become the punchline to a joke that I don't think it deserves. I really don't think it deserves. It's a pretty damn good heist movie. It's got great character work. Young Han Solo kind of captures the the same energy and swagger of Han Solo. I mean, it's it's an accurate depiction. I know people don't like him, the actor, which is unfortunate,
4: but it's, you know, kind of, this is what
5: Han Solo would have been like.
4: It. Made me think better of Rogue One. I will say that uh, because as much as I thought that uh, Rogue One had fan service in it, I wasn't prepared for Solo, and now I don't think as badly on on Rogue One, except for that stupid moment where the Cantina guys show up for no reason. I like it. Yeah,
6: I, I um seeing Daenerys in it was kind of cool.
3: It was kind of neat that they were doing that sort of thing. It's it's in an era I like to watch. It looked nice. It was a good enough of a Star Wars romp. Woody Harrelson was cool.
6: Woody Harrelson's usually very cool. And I think we said in the when we were covering the Star Wars episodes, it was kind of unfortunate that like everything that Han Solo has was all done in this one story. God,
4: Solo is just like a Wikipedia article brought to life, and it feels like such a waste of opportunity having the actors that we did, especially getting Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian, who is my favorite Star Wars character. If you take the Star Wars
5: out of the name, this is just a good, fun space sci-fi heist movie. It's a
4: really well-developed script and story. I would have rather had a random adventure of Han, Chewie, and Lando doing stuff Then the origin of everything from his blaster to how he got the Falcon to how he met Chewie and all that stuff. It just it felt like too much for one movie. I just want to see them fly around in space and, you know, tweak their nose at the law, get into roguish stuff, that sort of thing. That's really what I wanted. And I, I got some of it, but I just, it felt distracting, the fan service in it.
7: Actually remarkably fun once you get past all the fan service. It was a huge disappointment. Huge.
2: Part 4. Hate has made you powerful. You guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Disney and Lucasfilm could have avoided a whole lot of headaches if they had just kept the female characters in the metal bikinis where they belonged and
3: let the boys do all the cool stuff, right? Exactly. That's all I'm saying <laughs> give a
6: bikinis a chance. If you have
3: to have a female character, you have her tell them to stand by Ion control fire like God intended. <laughs>
5: <laughs> yeah, it didn't have to be
3: Hans Solo. That was
5: the thing too.
2: It didn't and that and I that was the thing. Like I the, the fan service that they heaped onto uh onto Solo, they kept cramming it with every little detail about Han Solo's life. God, I know. Every time they did it, it took me more and more out of the story. I'm like, stop doing this and just tell a story. Call this character by any other name and the story is fine. Like just make yeah. this an original thing.
5: Yeah, and you don't have to retread every piece of dialogue he ever said in episodes four, five, and six, and find a way to squeeze it in. And as right. like, not everything has to be callback humor, dude. I don't remember now anything I said when I was twenty. <laughs> like, you know, it's nothing I said that is important enough where I would still be using the same phrase.
2: <laughs> um, because it is a great little crime heist story, as, as we were saying. Like you know, like him, like growing up. And having you know being in love with this woman, and then meeting her years later when she has turned, and and you know there this sense of like looming betrayal and the Mm -hmm. warnings that she's not who you think she is, and you can't trust anybody, and the reversals. I, I, there's so much good in the story that I, I too, I'm like, this This deserves better than the rep it's got.
5: Um, yeah. I, 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 I even love the part about how his only escape was to join the military, to mm-hmm. join the Imperial Army. Like, all of that stuff, that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, that was from these, that's how they recruited and they, they mm-hmm. you know, took went to poor countries and stuff and they made soldiers out of those people to join the Empire and then, the, like, there were so many elements about this that were really neat. It didn't have to be a Han Solo story. Mm-hmm.
2: And, there were little things about it that bothered me like I didn't like the way he he met and rescued Chewie because it wasn't an act of um, the wookiee
5: life debt thing
2: yeah like yeah. i i think i to, i think it totally pissed off, pissed on the wookiee life debt thing because yep. it wasn't an act of noble nobility he wasn't right. sacrificing himself and his career to save a slave and, and befriend yep. like uh this yeah it was for job. selfish purposes it was he was, was self-interested <laughs> he was trying to escape and he needed the wookiee strength yeah. to help him escape <laughs> exactly. the fact that exactly. they escaped together was because they were handcuffed together there's nothing good or honorable about han's actions that would lead a wookiee to pledge a life debt to him for the rest of his Right. So that ticked me off. I thought they ruined that, but it was still it was a really enjoyable movie. That I just think it it couldn't meet the expectations. And part of it, I, I thought uh, Alden Ehrenreich was fine, but yeah. you're you're playing Harrison Ford. His signature role. It's like yes. the expectations of that are just mean spiritedly unfair.
5: Yeah, um, yeah. Like that might be that. Might, I mean, in hindsight, you know, he might, he might, he might sit there and say, "Wow, I shouldn't have taken on this role." Like that might be one of those things that you just don't do. Mm-hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Um, I think also, and I think you and I have talked about this previously, but. I don't know why Disney felt the rush to put this out when they did in May. Like, this movie absolutely needed the benefit of being a Christmas release six months later. It's already been established that they went through reshoots, and they were unhappy with testing, and they were, like, the movie was delayed and delayed and stuff like that, and then they changed directors and blah, blah, blah. That all is out there. Then on top of that, you had the horrible response, even though the movie Last Jedi made a ton of money, horrible backlash to it. I don't know why Disney felt like let's just hold this till Christmas next year. Let's give people twelve months off and let the, the fodder die down, kind of thing. They had no, you know, they, they wouldn't have competed with anything else the next Christmas. It was just, I don't know why they did that, but they, I think they the placement three weeks after
2: Avengers: Infinity War came Yes,
5: and I honestly, for the life of me, I cannot figure out whose decision that was to do that when everything about this movie said delay it, delay it, delay it. We're not ready. And it was just death to this film. It was just death to it. By putting it out then, when people already had a bad taste in their mouth about Star Wars, and you force-feed it down people's throat. And and it's not a Star Wars movie that they know or remember anyway. It's a new one. So it's just – there were so many things about it that – I think my personal opinion is had they held it till Christmas the following year, I think that the response would have been better. I think it would have made more money. And then this whole conversation about should Disney stop making movies and should they only do streams, I think that we'd be looking at it very differently.
6: For me specific, just me personally, I do not engage in the fandom of anything that I like. I think now that I'm actually thinking about it, certainly not Star Wars, just because of the things that I've heard. I don't want any part of that, and I don't need to like feel like I'm a part of that community or have drama interaction with that community to f- still feel like a fan. I love Star Wars. I've loved Star Wars since I was a little kid. I don't need anybody on the internet telling me that my opinion about something is wrong or that I'm not a good enough fan because I don't know every single detail of every single Star Wars movie. I don't need to get involved in that, so I just avoid it. Because what's the point if you're not going to talk constructively or objectively and you're you're just going to spout vile opinions about things? And obviously not every member of the fandom is like that, but it seems to be rather overwhelming at times. I don't I don't want that that detracts, you know, from my enjoyment of the thing itself, whereas I can just ignore all that and just enjoy myself.
3: Well, I think that raises a good point in that we got to distinguish what we mean when we talk about fandom Versus internet fandom even, I mean, I can't talk to random people about Star Wars anymore, because I know that within three or four posts or tweets or whatever, it's going to go haywire. Somebody's going to come in and somebody's going to get mad. And even if we were having a constructive conversation, it's gone. I can talk to pretty much any of the people that Ryan has on this show or Ryan or you about it. But that's an environment full of smart people, you know, who are smart, thoughtful people who can listen to other forms for the most part and and can talk without being at each other's throats. That should really be what fandom is. And it's what it has been for the most part, especially in Star Wars My God, if I see one more tweet that says just watching the movies doesn't make you a true fan in order to be a true fan, you must. And then they list a bunch of things that coincidentally are what they personally have done. Right. So therefore, the line starts with them. It's like everybody that drives faster than you is a maniac and everybody that drives slower than you is an idiot. You are the gauge for how people should (laughs) drive. All right. Mm -hmm. We get it. Just stop that. Stop that bullshit. Back in the day, nobody ever said, well, you, you can't consider yourself a fan unless you've read all of the Han Solo books by Brian Daly, rather than, you're a Star Wars fan? You like Han Solo? Hey, there's these books by Brian Daly. Have you read them? Here, I'll lend you some copies. you really got to love them. Why do you want to make it less? Why, why do you want to exclude it? I think I know why. There's a lot of reasons for it sociologically, but they're all stupid.
2: <laughs> is, it, <laughs> is it like a... I mean, I mean, I know where most senses of entitlement come from, but is, is it the sense that now that it's sort of universally so popular and it's so mainstream that there are people like that, there's this sense of original rights, like we were there first, we were a fan in the trenches and and the new crowd you know didn't go through you know the war the way we did, and you know is, is that it, or where is
3: where does the negativity come from? There's a lot of it is exactly what you're talking about, but that's usually built off of another more basic thing. Uh, Humans have a need to know where what group they should be in. And within that group, we have a weird sense of fairness and a, a compulsive need to rank things. In in relation to each other. So that boils down to if you're in a group, like in this case, fandom of Star Wars, unless the group is something like the military in which your place within it are, are directly tied, you know exactly where you are because of your rank and who to, you know, who to refer to and who you can talk to, you have to come up with that on your own. Even if there's no place for rankings, like in fandom, we seem to think that there must be. So we create for ourselves things to, uh, to determine who is a better fan than the other. And usually how I need to be the best one of these that I can so that I know I'm in the right group this isn't something that people spell out and think out consciously this is just these are social forces that push us to do these things but once we're in there for a while and we have a gauge of what that sort of thing is whenever we're confronted with a different aspect of it certain of us will find that to be an attack not only on their group, but on them, on what their determination was, and they will knee-jerk. Now, that type of people are very, very vulnerable to a certain type of, of thought process. They're very vulnerable to alt-right sort of mindset about, well, the reason it's bad is because of all of these SJWs and women. It was good before. That sort of thing, rather than, you know, you're, you're a little older than you were when you were eight. and <laughs> yeah, You saw this. You, you, you're, things like that. <clears throat> that's where it's based around. There's a million other things that are going on, um, including what, what Ryan was alluding to, the idea of there's a new guard and they didn't put as much in as we do. So, of course, they're not. So I'm going to come up with my way to show that I'm better. It's stupid. I was rattling off you know baseball stats when I was on, on Cheerscast last time. But if you try to tell me that, that Maggie is less of a baseball fan than I am, <laughs> well, you're wrong.
6: I mean, I don't know stats and things like that, but I can appreciate a good baseball game
3: right and I would be an idiot if I would try to tell Maggie well, someday you'll learn you'll know as many stats as I do, and then you'll be a and
6: then you'll fan be like a me. real fan yeah i the gatekeeping is one of the things that pisses me off more than anything else in the world. I don't understand. Particularly because it tends to be, and this I guess is getting into like the incels and things like that, but these, these men in these like, you know, nerd geek communities who blame women for all of their problems because the women won't sleep with them. But then they don't include them either. They actively work to keep them out of the things that they enjoy by gatekeeping. Or by saying no, it's not something that girls should be doing. You can't have it both ways.
3: The internet, for all of its wonder, has done one horrible thing, in addition to the other. One <laughs> just that. one, huh? This particular horrible thing gotcha. is it magnifies for people how many of them there are.
6: Yeah, right. Back in the day, because they're just in one big echo chamber. Right.
3: Back in the day, if somebody wanted to say, "Well, I'm driven to violence because women won't sleep with me," everyone else around would say, "Shut the fuck up." <laughs> don't talk that way but you go on the internet and you meet eight, nine other people around the country who think that way you start to think that you're you're a movement that your opinion has valid right. and plus we are allowed to just spout off shit that's been disproven over and over and over and over again all we want yep
2: how can you quantify what a fan is or what constitutes fandom like uh, because for some what we're saying is for some you can ascribe a numerical or external value to fandom, and therefore, as John, you were saying, you can basically rank it, you can codify fandom. But that doesn't seem like anything that has some kind of like scientific or, or structural yeah. basis. It's just got to be something that is deeply personal, deeply subjective, and amorphous. And that is a problem for people because, I mean, I know know Rob Kelly brought this up on his Film and Water podcast one time when he was talking about the Indiana Jones, you know, franchise and everything. He's like, there's four movies, there was a TV series, you know, and I think Rob kind of made the point that, like, he really only likes Raiders of the Lost Ark. Can he say he's an Indiana Jones fan if he only liked one out of four movies and he never watched the TV series? It's like... Yes or no? And if no, why not?
3: If he wants to, then fine.
6: Well, that's the thing, right? It's not... Being a fan isn't something that someone else thinks of you. Being a fan is something that you think of yourself. And it's not a zero-sun game. It's not right. like there's only so much fandom to go around. It, and if a new one's trying in, right.
3: it's like, uh-oh, I hope that doesn't mean I'm getting kicked out. I better show how I'm
6: fan. You know. Yeah, it, that's that's just silly. I mean... In a
3: bigger sense, though... What we're seeing with this is currently it's a microcosm for the way that we talk to each other online anyway. Mm -hmm. And that's um, it's a spill out from the election. And uh, there's a paper I just read and I read an article about this paper and then I read an article criticizing this paper. uh, So I figured I'd read the paper (laughs) and judge for myself uh the paper is co- it's by a uh dr morton ray's a phd from the university of southern california it's called weaponizing the haters the last jedi and the strategic politicization of pop culture through social media manipulation god we know how to title things and the, but basically what he was talking about is the fallout from the last jedi And we can all, I think, agree that as bad, there was a lot of troll and a lot of animosity that was starting with Force Awakens. But once Last Jedi came out, that's where this all really started. And it turned out, at least in part, this was on purpose. I mean, it's been well documented about how the Russians uh, were interfering with our election by using various trolls out of troll farms. Turns out they did the same thing for a number of other pop culture things, including Star Wars. They... Used the same techniques. Uh, They turned out in the paper. uh, He was looking at a sampling of comments to directed to Ryan Johnson directly, and half of those they were either uh, bots, completely bots, or they were echoing material that was originally spread by bots. I mean, the way that they operate is they'll create accounts. They'll go. They'll look online. They'll see what somebody who likes the Last Jedi will say and what someone who doesn't. And then they will take that thing, they will take those things and go spread those in areas with the opposite person, thus getting getting them angry. That's not saying that they created the animosity. They were feeding on what was already there. But what they did was they saw a rift and they increased the rift and they gave us our talking points. Now, it's impossible to tell to what degree, if any, this changed anyone's mind or made anybody think, but that's not the point. The purpose of it is to get news coverage of how messed up the US is, about how we're at each other's throats and everything, be it politically or something like Star Wars. And there's been a ton of those. And every time there's another news story, It spills off into much more of the same thing, the comments of which are helped along by the same trolls. In addition to the Russian trolls, there's also the people that started as Gamergate and then Comicsgate, their agenda thing with the general Steve Bannon-inspired SJW uh, moving up to straight-up sexism and racism. What it all winds up doing is making it impossible to really either know if our opinions about these things are even genuine and to whether or not we we can even talk to each other about these right now because of how polluted the entire public sphere is at this point.
6: Well, it's like, do you remember that one time on Cheerscast when I disagreed with Ryan about whether some jokes about wives were funny or not? Yeah. That doesn't make me think that Ryan's a bad person because he laughed at a joke that I didn't think was funny. That's not how that works. I think I've talked about this before, maybe on one of our other episodes on Married with Comics, about how it's, you know, whether you like a movie a lot or you don't like a movie a lot, it, it doesn't matter because it's just a movie. Mm-hmm. It, it's in it's completely inconsequential. What does it matter that someone likes something I don't or vice versa? It, it makes no difference whatsoever. It's not important. It's just like someone saying, I prefer Pepsi or I prefer Coke. Who cares? Should be that way. But, but... for some reason, and we put all of this self-importance on our own opinions and I think the internet kind of helps that along a little bit where we get this false sense of importance and validity to our own opinions and then we start spouting them off and then, you know, especially when people start agreeing with you and suddenly you think you're famous because it's the internet or something and it's addicting and people can't seem to tear themselves away from it but none of it matters. It's just Star Wars for crying out loud. Right? Who gives a fuck? But that's what (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> but that's what I'm talking about, how we can be driven or can drive ourselves to such frothing rage.
6: Frothing rage. I like that.
3: I mean, and it isn't unique to us. I mean, go um, like look at someone who's talking about – look at the folks talking about Schneider cuts and see what a lot of them are, are doing and saying. Uh, it's just we uh, – we've got to grow up. And it just sucks to be th- – it's such that we have to be part of fandom at this
6: point. I'm kind of in the midst of all, all this. And Well, they call it growing pains for a reason. Let's hope that that's what this kind of is.
2: I wonder if this is something that, like, Yankees and Red Sox fans have been living with for a hundred years. <laughs> and they're kind of looking yeah. at us like, you're just now getting to this point of, of like vitriol and hatred amongst your fandom? Really?
3: <laughs> the difference with that, though, at least that's broken down into seasons. You're mad... <laughs> For a period of time, and then you let it go during the off season. <laughs> you come back. I mean, I'm a huge Brewers fan, but I leave the game no matter you know once it's over with.
6: Yeah, no, you get them the next day. Get them the next time. There's always baseball. Or
3: it's but yeah, sports is a it's a good analogy for exactly what happens. Well, because
6: but I, when people talk about their sports teams, they say us, they say we, mm-hmm. they say we're. You're not going to go play. You don't know how to play football. Somebody else is going to go do that and make millions of dollars. But you refer to the team. As we and us. And it's the same thing in fandom. Even though we don't refer to Star Wars as we and us, we essentially do the same thing. Because when someone voices a different opinion, a dissenting opinion than the one you have, it's difficult sometimes not to take that as a personal attack it's okay to like something that i don't like like the witcher for example is another thing i haven't seen enough of it to have formed a, a strong opinion but as of right now not really impressed with it a lot of my friends very much like it and that's okay it's just not my thing and that shouldn't matter at all
0: we've passed on all we know a thousand generations living you now, but this is your fight on December 20th, the saga will end. Hold on! Let the final battle
5: begin. Star Wars.
7: The Rise of Skywalker. Not the best since Empire.
1: Rise of Skywalker. Huh. Um. Oh, boy. So the Rise of Skywalker is interesting.
6: And then the last one was Rise of Skywalker which we've only seen the once and mm-hmm. both John and I agree that we definitely want to see it a second time yes. I think I've learned as I've gotten older that most movies when I watch them the first time I'm like okay I, I've seen it but there's lots of things that you don't catch especially when you see it in the movie theater because I think because the screen is so big mm-hmm. so you have to see it a second time so you can pay attention to different parts of the screen and see other things that are happening right and while it's not my favorite I thought it was okay I definitely do want to see it again without all the the hype and you know this is the best movie ever and this is the worst movie ever i all of that removed and i just want to see it a second time you know kind of without with my palate having been cleansed a bit
5: i wanted to like it more than i did i don't think it's a bad film i didn't walk out of it feeling as upset or pissed off as i did after
4: last jedi but i also think it's a very forgettable film i think it's a garbage movie I read the spoilers to this movie before I went and saw it, and I'm really glad that I did because I think it would have made me angry if I'd been surprised by the choices that they made.
3: I had the big reveal spoiled before I went to see this, and this is the only time I could really say I'm kind of glad that I did because it gave me a day or so to chew on it. So that I wasn't, when it came in the movie, I could just kind of take it for what it was, rather than had I had that revealed at that time, Mm -hmm. it would have yanked me completely out of the movie to the faster than Boba Fett saying, get him, dad.
4: I think that Ryan Johnson opened up a lot of opportunities for them to take further risks, but it's like they just slammed the door shut and said, no, I don't want to grow up. I want to close myself in the most fan service thing ever. If as a movie, it's like, you know, when you can turn a podcast to 1.5 times speed, it's like that as a movie, it never takes an opportunity to let you feel anything or let moments land.
3: I'm going with, I liked it. I think that's, that's where I'm at right now. Yeah, I've only seen it the one time, as you said, um,
1: I got issues with it. It's hard for me to see this as a movie on, and stand on its own, own merits without looking at how this movie is an answer to. It. <laughs> this is a rebuttal argument to Ryan Johnson. People who who know me know that I love Highlander, and um, Highlander Two is the only place you could go after Highlander One in some ways. You have to go just a completely other direction, and then you get a movie called Highlander Three, which completely ignores Two. And basically acts as the direct sequel to one. And that's, I think, what we had here. There were so many things that were just left undone or actually that were undone by Abrams. Like, um, for example, Kylo Ren destroying his helmet. Guess what he's got back, Ryan? His helmet. And they make a big deal of the thing getting rebuilt. That lightsaber is back that was just destroyed. That whole, from a certain point of viewing uh, explanation for Ray's parents. Yeah, your parents were nobody, but let me tell you about your grandparents.
6: My disappointment, though, was that in, in Rise of Skywalker, I liked where it was going in The Last Jedi with um the little kid at the very end of the movie who kind of uses the Force to get the broom into his hand. And mm-hmm. the idea was, I, I thought, maybe this is wrong, maybe I was misinterpreting this, but it seemed as if the whole point w- with, you know, the, the Force Awakens and then The Last Jedi, and it was kind of like... Everyone gets to use the Force. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that anybody could do. You don't just have to be a Skywalker. Or a Palpatine. Or a Palpatine. <laughs> or an anybody. You, you're, you could just be a, a regular kid working in the barn and you could use the Force. And I thought that was great. I liked that message. And then we got Rise of Skywalker. And nope.
4: Just nope. I'm more of a person that I know what I don't want more than what I want, and I want to be surprised, and this movie just didn't do that, and I love that everyone in it is great. Oscar Isaac is charming. My God, Daisy Ridley and, and Adam Driver act their asses off. There's a lot of visuals that are great, but oh my God, what a effing mess.
3: My issues with any of these at this stage are entirely, it's wrapped around how these movies were done. I mean, this was not made as a trilogy. And yes, the... First original trilogy wasn't either, but there's differences. I mean, this was... J.J. Abrams made a movie that he thought he would never have to come back to. And he laid some seeds, did some things, and moved on. Ryan Johnson came, took that, picked up on some seeds, laid his own. And then there was a director kerfuffle, and plus the fallout from Last Jedi, which led to J.J. coming back, which was something he never thought he did. So J.J. took the threats that he wanted to and ignored the ones he didn't, and went a certain way. That way is not where I would have gone, but ultimately that's not the
1: point. Yeah. If we're talking about whether or not I liked the movie. And it's fine that there wasn't a master plan. But the fact that so many people don't really seem to be on the same page about this, even in press interviews, like the um, the original writing team, for example, uh, even they say, well, those weren't really all ideas that J.J. was using, so like the stuff you didn't like wasn't us. And then... Like, <laughs> But I felt like Abrams and and Chris Terrio were almost answering for the sins, quote-unquote sins of the previous movie. Almost like the opening of The Force Awakens with the, this will begin to set it right. Almost like a hand-holding and saying, all the stuff you didn't like before. Canto bright. Luke kind of turning his back on things, even though Luke had an arc. Almost a reboot of the reboot that just happened.
5: It was a good-looking movie, and... there were some great action sequences and pacing wise, it was pretty fast. So it was, I, I mean, all in all, I think my overall it's, it's, it's not the best. It's not the worst, but it's the movie I remember the least about.
1: And there are moments like, like in every Star Wars movie that there are moments that I really, really liked that I found touching, maybe even have teared me up, but as a movie, no, it's barely passable.
2: Part five, the price for your lack of vision. I, I, I just I, I felt like you basically invalidated the first two movies, which had both had amazing parts and stuff. Some stuff that I didn't like, but I felt like J.J. Abrams didn't like Return of the Jedi, so he was going to ignore it. And Ryan Johnson didn't like The Force Awakens, so he was going to ignore it. And J.J. Yeah. Abrams didn't like The Last Jedi, so he was going to ignore it. And yeah. by the time I got to this last one, I'm like, Holy hell! What a, what have the last five years
4: been for? <laughs> Yeah, that's the thing, is I think that what an ending does, I think ultimately, is that it's a great place to reaffirm what the themes are of this story. What is – and the thing is, it has the extra weight of saying, oh, by the way, this is the end of the Skywalker saga. So you have to say, well, what is all of Star Wars about? Not just what are these three movies about. It's a lot of weight to put on it, especially because, like you said – In The Force Awakens, we come in like 30 years after Return of the Jedi, and we get the impression that there's a republic and again like you mentioned there's this desire to distance himself from the prequels but the problem is they're so afraid to show like the senate or what is the system of government or anything because that was a lot of the stuff that people complained of with uh, the prequels that we don't actually know what any of the relationship between these different groups are because they want to just kind of bring it back to hey there's a scrappy resistance cell that is battling an evil empire they want to bring that back so much they never really create that and halfway through the movie the first order destroys a planet that has the senate on it and we never really get a chance to actually feel the weight of what that means what just happened i i don't know who who died there is how centralized is this government It's like somebody just nuked Washington, D.C. Does the United States exist anymore? I don't know. But there are still state governments. I mean, I have a better idea because I know what that is. And most of the answers I have come from reading the Star Wars comics that Marvel has put out that are about that post-Jedi era. And I shouldn't have to do that. And I think there's a couple scenes you could have put in there. The easy one is, like, to really establish that Leia really has formed her own private military to battle the First Order is have her on the phone with essentially the cops telling her, do not engage the First Order, don't do blah, 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 and just create the idea that they're just so afraid to start another war that they let the First Order do incursions on their land and have Leia just hang up on them have moments like that where these you know that gives you enough of what you need to know about the the new republic and then maybe not wipe it out completely and then have what is this series going to be about maybe it's about regular people standing up to a fascist incursion on the galaxy that the, 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 now the rebels are the people that blow up planets. Now the rebels are essentially, you know, basically a fascist cult that that sort of worships a fallen empire. And this is about, you know, maybe the head was cut off, but maybe there's a fleet, and maybe they're all fighting amongst themselves. And what this is about is about regular people having to sort of pull them all together. There's a moment in Rise of Skywalker that I like, but it's unearned and it's a bit where the resistance is about to lose against this fleet of superstar destroyers and the reinforcements show up in the form of all of these people that have decided to rise up against the first order and as he said it's you know it's not a navy it's just people just mm-hmm. people and if you had built the entirety of The Rise of Skywalker about that moment, the idea – because that was what the end of The Last Jedi was, is yep. that we're us to the wall and then nobody showed up. What is the difference between these two moments? That should be the plot of The Last Jedi. This should be about them trying to say, you know, you don't need to be afraid. You, you We need to stand up or we're going to lose forever. And maybe there's that thing, you know, it's got to it's got to feel like that moment in the, the return of the king where Rohan shows up. Mm-hmm. Because we've seen the moment, we've seen people say no, I can't risk my planet. I don't want to get involved or I just have to use my ships to defend them from coming into my system or whatever. But it's got to be that moment where regular people stand up. That's what I loved about The Last Jedi because – and it wasn't just the prequels that did this, but just a lot of Star Wars lore in general. Just It took it from being the story of this random farmer who becomes a hero in the galaxy to being this like lengthy thing about bloodlines and – you know, that people are important because their their parents or grandparents are important, and oh, they're a big deal because they come from this family or that one, and I've got magic blood, and that's why these monks have decided to take me out of a life of slavery, and I'm the chosen one, and all of that stuff. It got so big, and it forgot that, that element of Luke Skywalker just being a regular guy, who became important, and what I loved about the Ray revelation at the end of of the last Jedi is it sort of brought it back to that. And it's the same thing that was hit with the kid with the broom at the end. It says, Hey, it's going to be regular people, not people whose grandparents are important that are going to defeat this empire. It's this, this is what's going to beat them is regular people who take it upon themselves to become heroes. And it feels like they just slammed that shut. And I, I think there was actually – there was a way to do
2: that without like going through the whole be- – like even adhering to what you said at the beginning with avoiding the trappings of showing a lot of scenes in the Senate and people debating about whether or not they should go to war. You could have avoided – those same things, if that's what they didn't want, but without blowing up the whole government by basically creating, if they wanted to not really advance it and go back to another World War Two parable or analogy or something like that, of have it be this state of appeasement, where the First Order keeps on encroaching on this sort of borderland or everything and basically make the whole trilogy basically occupied Poland or France. And in yeah. like the rest of the Western world doesn't want to get involved yet. They don't want to take that. They're just they're willing to sacrifice these little bit of lands because they're so terrified of another galactic civil war. Yeah, And you have a, just a few people led by Leia who say, no, we're not going to give an inch. We know where this is going to lead. And you yeah. can still have all of these little fights in there, and you can still have it be Star Wars without another Death Star blowing up a planet or something like yeah.
4: that. And then this is the thing that finally makes the New Republic fight. Mm -hmm. That's what this is about, is we're so afraid. I think it's kind of a mix of two things. And this is the place where I think that Star Wars can be somehow relevant to the real world, which is that we have in our head that Nazis are just things that appear in movies and Captain America, Indiana Jones punches them, but they're gone. And it's like, no, we need to take this stuff seriously, Mm -hmm. that these people are out there and they're hurting people. And that the allusion to them the first order being nazis is not accidental the the huck speech in the force awakens is not subtle in the imagery that it's using that J, J. abrams very explicitly gave us that image of this guy standing in front of this giant red and black banner with screaming in his black ss uniform <laughs> i mean it's not subtle and it's then not. when they turn to all the stormtroopers they all throw their arms up yep I mean, they are going there. So right there, we're saying this is what this trilogy is about, is like we are going to make it unapologetically. It's not just that Tarkin has a uniform that just, let's face it, looks like a Nazi. Mm -hmm. These are Nazis. These are Nazis who have been exiled and have spent this whole time building weapons And uh, getting ready to take out their anger and their frustration and they're ready to make the galaxy great again. And you have a bunch of people who have been kind of creating their sort of nascent republic who aren't – don't have the stomach to fight. And Leia is the one person who's willing to fight who says, no, you have to take this stuff seriously. These people are not messing around. And maybe we needed something where they blow up some ship or something and they have to murder people. And this is about, no, we need to stick up to people like this, that th- these people need to be fought. And what I kind of loved in The Last Jedi, and, th- and I know people hate Canto Bite, but I think it's it's totally important to the character arc of not only Finn, but I think a lot of what we're saying, which is why at the end does nobody come to their aid? Why does nobody, nobody show up Rohan style? And it's because, one, there's there's fear that people were afraid that no one will stick up for them and they're just going to get thrown against the wall and shot. But also that there is a, a lot of people who make a lot of money selling weapons to both sides. And there there are people now, and it's like we can sort of see that now, people who are like, oh, I'll never vote for Trump ever, but unless they want to raise my taxes. And then maybe just this once. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of that. And I kind of love the the angle there that we want to make this something that is – I mean, it's not going to be – oppressively political, but we can't put Nazis in a movie without talking about Nazis. And, you know, it's, there's so many opportunities and you could build it up to that moment of regular people showing up and saying no this galaxy is worth fighting for and i'm not going to fight for that there's there's a kind of two other things not just the the ray revelation that kind of offends me that sort of makes her less interesting because so much of her character arc was all about that she's somebody who's desperate for family. That she feels like she was thrown away, and she wants to find that again. And she's constantly... And in The Last Jedi, she does it a lot, which is her basically asking for external validation from these other people. Tell, And she literally tells Luke Skywalker, she says, I need somebody to tell me what my place is in all this. Mm-hmm. And her handing the lightsaber to him is about, you need to do this. I'm giving... I Yes, I, I sort of... Stepped into the role of hero, but I'm trying to give it away and let somebody else do that. And she tries to, to say, okay, well, you're not going to do that. Well, I'm going to try to turn Kylo Ren. She says, well, then he's our final hope. And really the, the big reveal is that, no, it has to be her. She has to be the one to do this, that she has to step up and do it. Not because she's important. And I've always, I just, I love the idea of the one legacy hero. The one person who is the second generation from the original series is the villain, and I think that's the part that really bugs me the most about Rise of Skywalker is in The Last Jedi, we just said, you know what? We are going to force ourselves to go to the throne room uh, you know scene where the bad guy is there and the bad guy is going to redeem themselves because they see something really horrible happen to the hero and the evil wizard in a chair gets killed. And that's where this – no, it's like what I love that Ryan Johnson said, no, we're going to get that out of the way and we're going to put it in a direction that you don't expect – that this was not Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi. This was Darth Vader at the end of Empire saying, Join me. Except he actually finally surpassed Darth Vader in something, which is that he finally got a victory that Darth Vader never Darth Vader never managed to to supplant the Emperor and take over. So they built up the most interesting character in the series as the bad guy going into the next movie. And then they immediately just create another evil wizard in a chair and make him the secondary villain and make it all about his redemption. It's just like the end of that movie was not about him being set up, in fact, it kind of closes the door on his redemption arc because the last moment between him and Ray is they have that sort of shared vision, and it's her in the doorway of the Millennium Falcon, and they sort of lock eyes across, you know, the Force. And then she hits the button and closes the door. It's her way of saying, yeah, no, I get it. There's sort of an acceptance that this guy made his own bed. He he chose to be a bad person.
2: And I, I liked the idea that they were going to set him up to be the big bad. Like if – like by that point, once I was like, OK, they're not going to give him a redemption arc. They can't from here. Like they are going to lean into him being a big bad. My one problem is just based on the interactions between him and Hux throughout that movie. I was like, I don't feel the threat of these guys, you know, like... uh I think Kylo Ren's journey has been interesting up to this point, but I don't feel like the menace and everything. But yeah, I definitely think like once the Emperor came in, I was like, oh god, this is not gonna be. They're putting him, they're wrong thing, they're giving him the helmet back for no damn reason. And, yeah, and I agree. Like, like, and the whole point with Ray, like at first, I was like, all right. It was really clunky and forced that they made her Palpatine's daughter, but granddaughter. But I'll go with it. But then, like halfway through, like I saw it the second time, I was like, "Wait, it doesn't even matter plot wise that she's his granddaughter. That's not even a part of like his plan that needs to happen or something like that."
4: And what is his plan exactly? Was he basically playing both sides? He's like saying to Kylo Ren, "Is like kill her and I will will make you emperor." And it's like, was that just him throwing
2: because? if we understand that the republic was destroyed if they had no standing army or navy and if the first order had already basically taken over the galaxy and they had the superior ships and numbers why did you need an armada of a thousand star destroyers and everything to come out of the darkness like what were they like why was that a game changer like, yeah, it doesn't make any sense. We don't need any of that like, stuff. Like, if, if anything, it would have been more interesting if he was an actual third-party antagonist, and the Resistance and the First Order had to team up against him. Like, <laughs> yeah, if that if that had been part of the reinforcements
4: at the end, were the First Order Star Destroyers? And the thing is, they wanted to answer questions about Snoke and stuff. But mm-hmm. the thing is, Snoke makes less sense now. I have more questions. I, I'm just like, okay, so he's some evil wizard that rounded up a bunch of 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 Nazi cosplayers who uh, and got them all together and he's been just spending money in the unknown regions trying to recreate the Empire and I'm like okay I got that but I don't know if he's a separate person now or if he is literally just a marionette that is being operated by Palpatine I have no idea And if that's the case, why make him look like that? (laughs) That was my first question. I was like, if you could make
2: a clone surrogate, like a mentor of anything, why of all things would you
4: look like that? Like, why would you make him look like that? Yeah, it's just it's bizarre. Because if you're eventually going to pop in later and take over anyways, why not just make it that? Because if if this was all about you know clone of Hitler type thing, and you're like, okay, so for the past thirty years. A bunch of of weirdo imperial, uh, you know, hardliners disappeared into the unknown regions of space, and they probably had a hair follicle from from Palpatine that he probably kept on file, and they bring this guy back. It would have almost been interesting if I don't. You've probably read the Timothy on books, I'm yeah? Sure. sure, of course. Uh, what is his name? Like Saboath, I think Jor Saboath, yeah. Jorah um, what if you did that with Palpatine? So he's a clone who can't handle being called a clone, who thinks he's a real Palpatine, but he's a little bit broken. Yeah, I think well, something like that plays into the idea of, hey, we're just going to try to recreate this thing that died 30 years ago. Um, if you're just going to have Palpatine in it, because that's the thing I get is they didn't just retcon everything in The Last Jedi. They make – Force Awakens make no sense. Yeah. I've never seen a movie panic the way that this one did. And I'm a bit worried about the precedent it sets, not because of the storytelling stuff. I knew from like a year back, Star Wars was going to break my heart. The minute JJ Abrams came on board that I knew that the stuff that I really liked in the last Jedi was at the best going to be mostly papered over. I didn't know it was going to be a but I figured they were going to like, okay, they don't want the internet to crack in half over star wars that star wars is, is kind of the thing for everybody that everyone is happy and they kind of wanted to get back to that they were i think they were completely unprepared for the vitriol the anger the kind of partisanship that cracked up over the last jedi i don't think they were at all prepared for it and they really wanted to not be there the part i'm worried about is and i know you're not a fan of the last jedi and our, our good friend Nathaniel's not a friend of the last jedi so i'm not talking about the two of you when i say this But there's some real toxic people that hated that movie, and I'm a bit worried that they are going to take that as validation for – the way that they acted and saying, hey, that worked. That successfully moved the biggest media company in the world into changing their next movie. Yeah. And we are definitely going to uh, harass the next actor or for a character we don't like on social media. We are definitely going to scream and petition and try to undo all of this stuff because that we have an effect on on how they made their next movie. I'm really worried about that part. Like, and it, it's like kind of the way that like Rose Tico was kind of pushed to the side. I don't necessarily think that, you know, appeasing white nationalists on the internet was what they were trying to do, but it felt if I'm going to give a charitable interpretation of why they did it, it felt like JJ J. Abrams saying, that's not a toy I created, so I don't want to play with it. That's what I think it probably was, but I think that if there's one thing we can learn from the alt-right, corner of fandom, if we can call it fandom, is that they will take all the wrong messages from things. <laughs> and they will go, Oh, this is just, oh, this is just SJWs forcing themselves on blah 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 blah. And this is them going, hey, we are the real fans and we did bully them successfully into getting what we want. Eat that. It was kind of weird. The same thing happened where it just seems like everything they do is out of spite. And I just I worry that I worry that we just gave them a gift. That I don't think they intended to. I don't think that's what Kathleen Kennedy and Disney and all those folks did. I don't think Bob Iger was like, "Oh my God, I'm scared that Nazis are going to boycott us," because you know I'm you know Last Jedi made over a billion dollars. I think they're they're set. But that's the part that I genuinely worry about. <sighs> And this is the problem with bad endings. And I had the same problem with Game of Thrones, which is that the way that a story can be summed up by its ending and it can affect the way that you see the rest of it. I can't watch The Force Awakens or Last Jedi with part of my brain going to, yeah, but how it ended. Mm -hmm. And the same thing happened with Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is really bizarre because Game of Thrones for five-sixths of that series... I could easily tell you what the theme of it is. I could easily tell you what is this all about. Oh, it's about uh, the fact that there is the weight of all these old decisions and history, and it suddenly is coming back, but we're so busy killing each other that we can't do the thing that's obvious to save our own lives. And then the last season of that just throws it all away. Oh, I guess it isn't about the ice zombies. Because we ended that in the middle of the season, it's like that sort of, that's a, that's what this feels like. It feels like, oh yeah, that Nazi thing, that all the stuff we were building up, talking about fascism, and you know, screw that. Not even, Hux doesn't even get to be the main Nazi in this movie. Yeah, it's just the Sith. It's just random Dark Side. Blah 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 blah. Yeah, whatever. And I'm like, well, what was that all about? What what was any of that about? I I don't know. It muddies the water so much that it becomes clear that nobody ever had a discussion about what these movies were. I am not a fan of the prequels, but I can tell you what the prequels are about. It's about the death of democracy and it's about how systems fail us in protecting and just all of that stuff. It's not done well, but I can totally see especially because it was happening during, you know, the first Bush, you know, the Bush <laughs> yeah. administration that that was clearly on George Lucas's mind. And I don't really know what this was about. And it felt like there was a great opportunity for us to talk about sort of insurgent Nazi movements, given that it seems to be, sadly, kind of a concern right now. We could really talk about that and have something to say about that. And it felt like the first two movies, at the very least, hinted very strongly about what it felt about these things. And J.J. Abrams with the Huck speech very clearly wanted to say something about it because he wouldn't have made it so overt. This is the thing I do like in The Rise of Skywalker that I, I want to give it some credit. Uh, I do like at the end of the movie that her lightsaber seems to be made out of her staff. Yeah. That is cool. That should have happened earlier in the movie, though. That should have been, because her, well, her last lightsaber was blown up in the last movie. Exactly. They completely ignored that. Like, she should have had a brand new lightsaber from the beginning. Yeah. Just have her – have one made out of the staff. Yeah. And if you want an excuse to go to the Death Star – which, by the way, that whole thing was only there so they could walk into that. I mean, one that should have been way more blown up. Mm-hmm. Uh, they just wanted to stand in the throne room. That's the whole reason that scene exists. Right. Is to have that that one room be surprisingly uh, still together. But if you want to go to the remains of the Death Star, it should be to get a Kyber crystal for a new lightsaber. Yeah. Because that was the thing that Rogue One did. It said, "Oh yeah, that Doomsday laser. It's based on Kyber crystals. That's why they were on J- Jedha." Mm-hmm. So I mean, it just. Oh God, it just. I don't know what this was all about. I don't know what any of this, this was. Um, and there's moments like, we think Chewie is dead at one point, and they don't even let us stop and feel it. You know? It's yeah, like, we yeah. should... we. Sh- he is one of the most beloved, long-serving characters in this entire franchise. And the lead hero thinks that she might have accidentally killed him. There's some great weight you can get out of that. Mm-hmm. And it just... Oh, and... Oh god, it just it bugs me. But also, it just it feels like they went back on another thing that Last Jedi did that I don't think it's brought up enough. Which is the way they talk about the Jedi in The Last Jedi is great because it's all part of Luke's arc. Mm-hmm. That clearly Luke has done some reading since Return of the Jedi, and let's face it, the Jedi, both in the original trilogy, we're talking like Obi Wan and Yoda, but also all of them in the prequels, right. are not great people. <laughs>
2: Yeah, and, and I thought, like, what, it, what an interesting take to to have the finale of this saga be just really the death of the Jedi and just sort of having a new understanding, a new branding, a new philosophy of the Force, and that's what it seemed like they were setting up, and then this one was like, nope, Jedi are awesome.
4: Jedi are awesome, they're all great, Jedi good, Sith bad. <laughs> I can't take credit for this, but this is a, a, something that somebody brought up on a YouTube channel, and I can't not mention it, because I couldn't help but notice this uh, while watching Rise of Skywalker. Palpatine doesn't quite act like Palpatine in this movie. That he is this guy who should be dead, who was taken away by a secret group of followers in robes, and has been slowly coming back from this state of undeath, that for a while he was obsessed with killing a baby that was prophesied to destroy him, he's acting like voldemort yeah there's no reason for him to be in this movie and if, and that's why i keep thinking that jj J. abrams had no plan because if this is where he wanted to go the whole time there would have been some hint of it in force awakens well you don't over- have snoke at all if this was the plane all along you don't have yeah. somebody who looks and
2: acts like the emperor but isn't quite the emperor you don't yeah. set that up if your plan is to bring the emperor back he was brought back because they killed off the surrogate, the Emperor Valley, like 2.0, and he's like, well, I need this for like story structure purposes, because I'm
4: afraid of having Kylo Ren be the big bad. Yeah, and it, Kylo Ren is the best character he's the most interesting version of the dark jedi character that they've had so far and it's so great to have him elevate up that you think you're getting a retread of the last last trilogy but you're instead no you're not getting return of the jedi again you're getting something else and i like that moment because both of them think something very different is happening in that moment that he kills snoke and the music is clearly uh, coming from Ray's perspective because you're like, oh wow, he's a good guy and they let you go through an entire awesome lightsaber fight mm-hmm. uh, thinking that he has become a good guy and I kind of love that moment, I love getting a chance to see who he could have been as a Jedi, thinking you're seeing the light side guy but that's always the thing, Is this is kind of my beef with Star Wars in general um, I think a lot of the problem came from the prequels, but You know, Darth Vader in the original three movies is, like, a bad guy. He kills his his employees. He tortures people. He's not – I wouldn't blame him for Alderaan. I think that was Tarkin. But uh, in the prequels, there's two separate moments where he kills children. And I don't think that throwing a wizard down a hole is enough to make up for any of that. I mean, because it wasn't just that he was, like, a bad dude. Even when he was just Anakin Skywalker, he has a discussion with his future wife where he's saying, hey, maybe things would be better under fascism. <laughs> I mean, there's, that's a red flag. That's that's a I'm not having a second date kind of moment. You'd think. Yeah, you'd think. She, he admitted to her before any of this. He's just like, I killed them all like animals, even their children. And it's just like, if that wasn't a red flag before, what is this? But, I mean, there's a level where he's just, like, it's so bad. But that's what I kind of love is it felt like Kylo Ren had crossed that. And now they kind of wanted to go back on that. And it just it, it just heaped so much fan service. But the other problem is it, it did so much that you're not allowed to sort of feel it because it just keeps pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing and it won't slow down. I think Casey, my co-host on Radio vs. the Martian, said that it felt like light speed skipping was the plot of this movie. Yeah. And why introduce light speed skipping if it's not going to be part of the finale? If it's not part of the two, it's so crazy it just might work? On a real
2: technical, like. Minutia level. I hate what they have done with light speed in all of the new Disney movies. Like they really like play like jump using light speed to jump into the atmosphere of a planet, like all through like uh, yeah stuff like that. Just like I become Neil deGrasse Tyson because I'm just like uh, okay, I I understand it's Star Wars, it's space fantasy, but you yeah. have established previously that there are certain rules to this thing, and now you're you're spitting in the face of those rules just yeah. for the sake of we're doing it faster now because it's brand new, and it's just, oh, stop, stop.
4: I've said this before, what are are these movies about, Ryan? If you had to say, what was the overall theme, arc, whatever, of the sequel trilogy?
2: Well, now, by looking at it in retrospect, it kind of feels like an argument between boomers and millennials hating each other. Yeah. It feels like I I thought it was going to be about legacy, but it feels like it takes way too long to pass the torch. It feels like the older generation is still holding on, and it's not letting go. It's not letting the younger generation take over. I mean, because you had that with all of the heroes, with Han and Luke and then Leia, because I I think Han had the most—he was the most fun part of The the Force Awakens in a lot of ways— and I definitely think Ryan Johnson was most interested in telling Luke's story in The Last Jedi. So by the time you get to this one, and they have to write off uh, Princess Leia's character, but you also bring back the villain of the original saga. So yeah, this, oh, is, God. this is about one generation refusing to let go and refusing to let the heroes of the next generation step forward. And they
4: actually have to kill each other. Yeah, even in the credits, even in the credits. Um, Carrie Fisher it's, gets it's, top billing. Carrie Fisher gets top billing. Mark Hamill gets top billing. I mean, it's, you know, Daisy Ridley should be the first name at the end credits. Mm-hmm. She's the hero of the story. It's just, it. yeah, I think you're right in that front. It's just, it. And it and it pisses
2: me off all the more that she takes the name Skywalker at the end. I don't think that's the right way to end it.
4: I totally agree. It it's sort of like go, yay! Instead of that one, it just it, let's just grab this other name, and it's like, no, no. Because it also, I, they've also said that you know this is supposed
2: to be the end of the Skywalker saga. Well, now it's not. Yeah, it's Does not. Any any story that she has after this is part of the Skywalker saga. We're finding ourselves at a very exciting moment with the Skywalker saga coming to an end. We're at a place of what's next for Star Wars. One of the things we've always done is be able to use our franchise platforms to explore the creative potential in the Star Wars galaxy. And so what if publishing was more of an incubation place and bring in great talent and just let their imaginations run free? Part six, it is the future you see together the really unique writers room where we had the first where does Star Wars go from here as a franchise as an IP Disney owns it they're not gonna give it up so they they've given us five movies on the big screen they've started going on the small screen with the Disney plus shows like what does the future of Star Wars look like what do you think it's gonna look like what would you like it to look like um
7: I don't know because ultimately I'm in this really weird place at the minute where I'm disappointed with the Star Wars film. And I've never been disappointed with a Star Wars film. Even the prequels. I love the prequels. I've been a prequel apologist for 20 years. I don't see that changing. And then the Rise of Skywalker happened. I was like, that wasn't very good. But it wasn't bad either. It was too well made and too made with obvious attention to detail and money to be bad. But ultimately, I kind of think that as much as I adore The Last Jedi, and I know that is a minority opinion (laughs) held by a lot of people, I kind of think the sequel trilogy has been a waste of time, ultimately, because they've squandered everything. They didn't utilize the main cast as well as they could. By having the main cast in it, they've kind of reduced the effect of the new cast. So I don't know. At the moment, I'm kind of leaning towards that Disney Plus may be the place to go, because The Mandalorian has been a breath of fresh air. And has really been a lot better than the sequel trilogy in that somebody actually seems to have sat down and thought this through. As in the kind of story they want to tell and the kind of show they want to be. And obviously I'm looking forward to season seven of Clone Wars because Clone Wars was exceptional. But I don't think that Clone Wars is going to have the same mass appeal that maybe The Mandalorian is. But there's only so many times they can go to the well of this is the last Star Wars film. This is the third time that this has been the last Star Wars film. And I think audiences are going to get fed up of it unless they really do something exceptional next time around. And the fact that they've got a couple of people, well, they did have the Game of Thrones guys, Benioff and Weiss, doing a trilogy and Ryan Johnson doing a trilogy. The Off and Weiss guys have since announced that they're not doing their trilogy because they're busy doing something for Netflix. Is that right?
2: I also think it kind of came down right on the heels of a lot of people not being happy with their conclusion to Game of Thrones. It seemed like... Well, was kinda, and, I, and I don't know if they are tied to another. I don't know if they, the you know Bob Iger, Alan Horn, the higher-ups at Disney actually care about stuff like that, but it seemed like mm-hmm. the timing was suspect that Game of Thrones ended a lot of people were like, well, these la- this last season sucked. You guys really screwed up this. And all of a sudden it's like, eh, maybe we won't give them a Star Wars movie. I don't know. I don't know if they're connected or not, but
7: Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it seems like I personally don't want Ryan Johnson to do a trilogy of Star Wars movies. Probably not for the same reason that other people don't want him to do a trilogy of Star Wars movies. I want him to do more things like Knives Out and Looper. Knives Out was an absolutely brilliant film.
2: And I I definitely think that's where they're going to go with it because of like I mean he he's shown he's like I don't need I don't need the shit I got from Star Wars from these yeah. fans. It's like this is bullshit. Like uh, let me do my own movies. Nobody complains about my soul and my sin, my individual no. movies that aren't part of this IP. Yeah. But I think I'm kind of the opposite as much as I didn't like the last Jedi as much as other people and as much as I did feel like that was kind of a, a missed note or something like that. I I ended up leaving that movie thinking I was like you know what if this guy was given his own Star Wars sandbox that wasn't connected to these other things, I would be interested in seeing more of his Star Wars work, as long as he wasn't attached to these other storylines that he didn't want to deal with. Obviously,
7: hmm. yeah, there is that. That if he's he's given Count Blanche and a blank check to do his own story set in the Star Wars universe, fine. I think it would probably be more interesting, and there would probably be people like yourself who were more on the fence or more reasonable about why they didn't like The Last Jedi would possibly come around to it and go, yeah, okay, doing his own story, this is fine. But I don't think there are certain segments of the fan base that are going to give him a first shot. Yeah, I agree And I think you would just have to listen to lots of the incessant whining that we've had to put up with just because it's him doing it. And I think he could just save himself a lot of grief and a lot of stress by not doing it. I mean, there's plenty of places they can set stories within the Star Wars universe, but even by Lucas's own admission, it was a finite story. Star Wars isn't Star Trek. So it it becomes, where can they do another story in the Star Wars universe that will have the same mass appeal that Star Wars has? And let's not forget, Star Wars isn't a cult thing. Star Wars was always, everybody loved Star Wars when we were growing up. Everybody loves Star Wars, everyone loves The Empire Strikes Back and everyone loves the Return of the Jedi. So it's it's gonna be interesting to see what they do. Like the current rumor is they're gonna set it a thousand years in the past and it's gonna be the Knights of the Old Republic. That's got potential.
2: I, I mean I certainly love the comics and that source material, or even if they draw on like from like some of the video games, there's a ton of built in goodwill there and lots of fans. Yeah. You know, they kept on emphasizing, you know, this is the last Skywalker movie, this is the end of the Skywalker saga. It's like, well, when the main character takes the name Skywalker at the end of this movie, you kind of left the door open. It's like, you certainly could do episodes 10 through 12 if you wanted to do, wait a couple of years and then do another trilogy with these characters. You could. I don't think that they necessarily should. But yeah, I I think the story of the Empire and all that needs to kind of be put down for a long time. But I definitely, I think... I don't know that I agree that Star Wars like, has to be limited because we've seen that. I think as long as you've got spaceships and lightsabers, even if it feels very, very different, I think there might be enough of a, enough wiggle room to say, you know, to truly do this is a new generation, Star Wars, because you're right. They, they handcuffed themselves to the original trilogy so much that they didn't give this trilogy a chance to be something new for a new generation.
7: I, I can't help but think that ultimately they shouldn't have brought back any of the original cast. And I kind of pat myself on the back a little bit because I said that back in 2015 or 16 or wherever they hell Disney bought it. I was the lone voice saying, I don't want them to bring the original cast back.
2: I, I said that too. I, I remember Good. seeing You're the on, exact we're, same we're
7: on, Yeah, we were about, on the set. It should have been a complete yeah. The only characters that should have been in this were C3PO and R2-D2.
2: I was thinking that and then when I watched the Force Awakens, I was suckered in. They pulled me in because I was like, I'm watching Harrison Ford act for the first time in like 10 years. <laughs> it's like I haven't seen him actually put any blood into his work in a long time. So this is kind of fun. So that was a little bit refreshing, but was it worth it? I I don't know. I mean, see that's
7: I I come down on the side that no it wasn't. Ultimately, I think they squandered all of the goodwill from the Force Awakens by doing what they did with The Last Jedi, which I loved, you didn't love. But I think that Ryan Johnson made a mature adult Star Wars movie and I don't think the audience want that.
2: For better or worse, like one of the things that I liked about The Rise of Skywalker is I did feel finally like I was getting the chance to like Rey and Finn and Kylo Ren and their adventure, their story. Yes. There, were, there were certainly plenty of other problems, but the middle half, like that second act when they're on the MacGuffin chase, of course, everybody's like, oh, it's just a bunch of MacGuffins. That's what – like 75% of adventure movies are just MacGuffin chases. Why is that a complaint? Yeah.
7: And, and the first 45 minutes where we actually get to see the three of them interact together yeah, yeah. is brilliant because yeah. Daisy Ridley and John Boyega and Oscar Isaac are all absolutely fantastic together. Yeah. And then it's like, so why has it took you three movies to get here?
6: Right.
2: And being a fan of stars, like especially like in the nineties and early 2000, like in that waste era between the movies, I love the expanded universe. I love reading the comics mm-hmm. and the books of that time. And I've been looking at the the shelves of like what's out there now for these things. And it's
7: the, not interesting.
2: It isn't, but part of it is just like, they're not, they're not telling stories with this new cast because like the, the, order came down from wherever they it was like you can't tell from bad them. robot yeah yeah
7: it was the, it was the same thing with star trek
2: yeah you can't tell more stories about ray and Finn until their movies are done you can't like flesh them mm-hmm. out because they, they might have to retcon something you know it's like i don't want to read a book about captain fastman i don't give a crap about her yeah.
7: character. Like, yeah she wasn't I that i agree in the with you more yeah because so, i think I was, one of the interesting things that kept us interested mm-hmm. was that the monthly star wars comic was coming out and it was set between Star Wars and Empire, or it was set between Empire and Jedi, and it was the continuing adventures. And it gave those characters a um, doubt feel, a more three-dimension ability, I think, that the films didn't really earn. I think for our generation, the comics filled in a lot of the gaps in the storytelling in between Star Wars and Empire, and we've not had that with the new ones. And I will, this is another one of those I will go to my grave saying, the prequel characters, irrespective of what you think of the films, the prequel characters have so much backstory to them that they lend themselves to more stories, more stories about Qui-Gon, more stories about Obi-Wan trying to train Anakin and failing miserably. Mm-hmm. There's there's entire places there that you can set interesting stories with those characters, but they locked themselves into a problem instantly by giving The Force Awakens a cliffhanger. Yeah. So Ryan Johnson had no choice but to pick the film up exactly where uh, J.J. Abrams left it. So there was, there's no wiggle room there to be able to say, like, in between Empire and Jedi, well, how the hell does Jedi, how the hell does Luke become a Jedi? Yeah. And
2: then the end of The Last Jedi, the end of episode eight, which you would think would be the cliffhanger, wasn't a cliffhanger ending. Yeah. (laughs) When I got to the end of The Last Jedi, I was like, I don't know where they go from here. There's, like, no unresolved character conflict. It's just yeah. who wins the war? Who, how do they beat the First Order? That's not as interesting to me. Well, so, see,
7: I, I, the only thing I disagree with that there is that he left it open for Kylo Ren to step up to be the bad guy. Which he
2: should have. I, I
7: Which he should have. Like, they were, and J.J. wasn't interested in that because he co-wrote his script on Twitter.
2: <laughs> yeah, I... Um, I, Gosh, I'm, I, I am so conflicted because they were... Yeah, I, that's
7: this is the problem, isn't it? It's ultimately, taking the 100-yard view, the sequel trilogy wasn't worth it. Whether you'd like them or not, yeah. and I, I like most of it, But there's something in there that doesn't ring true, and there's a danger going forward that Star Wars is going to become like the Pirates of the Caribbean movies or the Fast and the Furious movies where they just churn one out every two years and nobody really cares, even if they do make shit tons of money. And, you know, the Fast and the Furious movies are fun, if if you like car chases, which I do. They're always amusing and entertaining. The Pirates of the Caribbean movies are shit, but the Fast and the Furious movies are entertaining. But there's a danger that's what Star Wars is going to become. And I think as much as we look back on it now and go, Jesus, there was three years in between Empire and Jedi. That's what built the franchise. The yeah. fact that we had to wait. And there's none of that anymore. They've, they've turned out, what, five movies in, in six years? Yeah, That's my problem with it going forward. I mean, I'd, I'm very much looking forward to Obi-Wan. Nothing would please me more as a fan than just 90 minutes of Darth Vader going John Wick on the Jedi's ass. <laughs> I think That would be a fantastic film. Just expand that bit at the end of Rogue One to a full 9,100-minute movie of I mean, just hunting down the Jedi. That would be awesome. But I don't know that it's something that the world needs. And I, I don't know. I, I don't know where the cinema blockbusters go at this point. But I think the T V shows have endless possibilities.
2: Yeah. And I think the I think they probably realize that and that's why they're they're shelving their plans for movies right now. And I think mm. I bet they're gonna sit on them for at least three or four years. I, I and I think they're just gonna focus on what they know right now is they've got a lot of goodwill for it, which is gonna be the D plus series. Um and I love the first season of The Mandalorian, so I'm looking forward to more of that. I do think they can do a lot of cool stuff with an Obi Wan series and and with the guys from Rogue One, maybe give them some, some yeah. character and something interesting to do. Yeah. Um, oh, let, let's see, a, let's see a,
7: um, a Rogue Squadron series.
2: Yeah, yeah, I th- I'd
7: set love to see. in between it. Empire and Jedi or whatever. Yeah. And I, you know what? I'd love, I'd love a half hour sitcom with C three P O and R two D two because R two D two was seriously underserved in the sequel trilogy.
2: He was, he was, and, and I mean, I, I've said it before. I think we'll probably get. Orlando uh, with Donald Glover as Lando probably as a D plus series maybe.
7: Yeah, I'd like I'd love a sequel to Solo on Disney plus. Yeah, because once they've got all that fan service out the way of where he got the Falcon from and Mike Gillis and me were talking on Facebook and he came up with the perfect Han Solo film. It should have just been Smokey and the Bandit in space. Mm-hmm. It should have just been Lando hires Han to run some space cores from one end of the galaxy to the other but he, he doesn't know that he's running something else. The Empire found out about him and you've got um, Sheriff Buford T. Justice Imperial <laughs> Division chasing him <laughs> from galaxy to galaxy trying to stop him from getting where he's going. And that's your film. I,
2: I'd watch it. I, I, would,
7: I'd, I would totally watch <laughs> yeah. that and I would be looking forward to the remixes of Eastbound and Down.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, if listeners want to go back, there was an episode that I did a while ago with J. David Weider where we talked about basically that same idea of it taking an other outside of Star Wars movie base and plucking it down in the Star Wars world. And I had – like I I basically – what the Mandalorian was was pretty close to something that I called. I mean, we we talked about Lone Wolf and Cub and we talked about, like, a a, a Western, like, The Good, The Bad, and Ugly. Seven. Yep, that type of thing. So you could definitely do those. I I said back on that one, like, I would like just, like, a racing movie, like, a pod racing movie or something, if you actually gave it, like, interesting characters. Ford versus Ferrari on Tatooine. There you go, there you go.
7: (laughs) Oh, yes. I
2: like that idea. So, So, I mean, I think for the meantime, give us one or two seasons a year like on Disney Plus with some of these smaller scale individual things kind of broaden the world out a little bigger while you get your ideas together for what you're going to do because I think I think the movies need to be worth it. They need to feel like there is something epic and something big about them and... I liked Rey and I liked Finn and, I, and BB-8 and I'd like to see more of these characters, but honestly, I'm at the point right now where I don't need to see them in the movies. Give me a book. Give me a book that takes place a year after The Rise of Skywalker and what does the mm-hmm. shape of the universe look like? Like, what is the, the oh,
7: galactic scene? Oh, give me something before Rise. When did Poe and Rey become such bickering man and wives? Sure, yeah. Have, yeah. have they had a one-night stand together that ended badly? Because that conversation that they had, as my wife pointed out, that was X's bickering. Yeah. That wasn't friends, so something's happened between those two. I want to see that film. Let's do blue is the warmest colour as a Star Wars movie. (laughs) With Finn Poe and Ray in a love triangle. That would be awesome. And every and the right people's heads would explode. Yes. Do it. Do it, Disney.
2: The other thing that we didn't get from this one with Ben, and maybe you could explore it with Ben and Kylo Ren and everything like that, or you could just do it with, with an original character, but I wouldn't mind seeing an actual lengthy exploration of what it takes to to fall to the dark side. Because so often we just see them either switch, just like they're, you snap hmm. the fingers and now they're bad guy, or they've already crossed that line. What
7: Revenge of the Sith should have been.
2: Yeah, yeah. And what does it take like when you abuse that power the first time and then it just gets a little bit easier every time and, and almost well, the, like an addiction.
7: There's um, a little bit of that. Have you ever seen Gendy Tartosky's Clone Wars cartoons?
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah there's the, a little bit of
7: that in the check, episode. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of that in the one where Anakin fights a Serge Ventress and he's not winning And then it's beautifully told, beautifully framed. He's all in blue. She's all in red. And then because of the red sun. And then as they start climbing the steps, he steps into the red sunlight. Mm -hmm. And as he does that, he starts turning to the dark side. And he kicks the crap out of her by giving himself to the dark side. And there's a little bit of that in what you're talking about in that little seven-minute segment. But yeah, let's see that as a full-blown, full what is so seductive about the dark side? Because the Emperor doesn't make it look particularly enticing. <laughs> oh yeah, you, you'll get to live forever and it gives you the pathway to many abilities some may find unsettling, but you'll look like a prune. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to look like a prune, I want to look like you and McGregor. Exactly. <laughs>
2: Oh man, I was, I was talking to Mark Marvel about, uh, from the Lantern cast when we were doing a review of the Rise of Skywalker and he brought up the point like, apparently for the Emperor, using force lightning is like male urination where once you start you can't stop? <laughs> And it's like he, like, he keeps burning his face off. He keeps turning to death because he's st- like, dude, just stop shooting the lightning and you won't
7: die. Does he have to get up in the four times in the middle of the night just to go and shoot his fingers off? Yeah.
4: Jesus Christ, Can does Palpatine know how to stop that lightning once he starts it? Because this is the third time that that has hurt him. Well, technically I'm trying to help him because the fact that he couldn't turn it off in Return of the Jedi also killed Darth Vader too, but I guess that armor is really uh, you know, really conductive. I mean, if he'd been wearing rubber soles on his on his boots, he probably would have been okay. Stop I, burning your I, face. I can't I
2: can't stop force lightning in midstream. It's like it's like just stop <laughs> shooting the lightning and you don't and your face will still be normal.
7: Yeah, you you'll be fine. <laughs> I mean cuz clearly when he looked like that, that's when he started pulling the women Obviously, <laughs> yeah,
2: of course. Well, oh, yeah. <laughs> that was... Oh man. Oh, there's going to be so much fan fiction about <laughs> about <laughs> Palpatine she... sitting at the dinner table. How was <laughs> your Sith training today, little one? Like, oh. I don't want, Dad. I don't want to be a Sith. I want to dance. There you go.
7: Fifty Shades of Sheev Palpatine. Oh. There's there's the next one. <laughs> all the women coming into the Empress's chain room and him showing him his room with all his Sith toys in.
2: This is the expanded universe we don't need <laughs> but we will get in some dark corner of the internet. It's already
7: there. Sounds oh, so breaded.
2: <laughs> Alright, well...
7: <laughs> <laughs> well, that went down a path
2: you weren't expecting, didn't it? And now, the Galactic Questionnaire. Question one. Best Stormtrooper variant? Uh, I'm going
5: to do a Scout Trooper.
7: Oh, I like the Return of the Jedi speeder bike stormtroopers, the ones that we just saw in the last episode of The Mandalorian.
5: I was always a huge, huge fan of the Biker Scouts. That was always my favorite until recently.
1: Uh, Scouts, uh, Speeder Scout. All right. Speeder Bike? Speeder Bike? Biker Scouts, I
6: guess they're called. Yeah. Oh, so cool. Uh, Biker Scouts. (sighs) I do like them. Yeah. I would, I would agree with Biker, the Biker Scout. Well, except Shock Troopers.
5: And in Rogue One, I love the introduction of the Death Troopers, the Black Stormtroopers. I thought that those were awesome. So that's probably now my favorite. Question two. Favorite droid character?
7: Oh, R2-D2. I think he was woefully underserved in the sequel trilogy. R2-D2 is the hero of the Star Wars trilogy and the Star Wars prequels. He's magnificent on every level. And I love that he's a potty mouth sailor. <laughs>
1: I love R2, but R5-D4 was my first droid. So I'm going to go with R5-D4.
5: The smart-ass droid, I don't know his name, in Return of the Jedi that's in the dungeons with R2-D2 when he puts him to work... The guy that's like, oh, you're a feisty one, and he like, and he's like, you'll learn new respect. Like that guy, I just thought was badass. Like EV I'm like,
2: ninety nine, EV ninety nine.
5: <laughs> I can't believe you know that. I, we had the
2: toy. I <laughs> remember the toy.
5: That guy, I think that guy was badass. Like I would love to be like Jabba's like droid check-in guy at the at the dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a cool job.
4: Oh, it's hard to say not R2-D2, because R2-D2 is amazing, and he's kind of the same personality as Herbie. Um, But after The Mandalorian, I love the way the IG droids move. It's like it was an unmovable prop in Empire Strikes Back that there was no way to satisfyingly make that work as a moving character, and they somehow pulled it off. So I'm going to break from this and say um, IG-11, the IG droids.
6: I like BB-8. I'll say it. I think it's cute.
4: (laughs) IG-11. That is quickly
3: becoming
2: a new favorite. A lot of people are saying that. I'm glad you said BB-8. I like BB-8, too. Me, too. Number three, a bigger offender from the special editions. Greedo shooting first, or the scene with Jabba at Docking Bay 94?
4: Scene with Java easy. Um, because there's nothing that Java says that isn't covered in the Greedo scene, which is why uh, Greedo speaks in an alien language in the first place, because they took all of that exposition from the Java scene and gave it to him in subtitles. And now the movie says it twice. And also, are we going to take away one of the greatest reveals in, in movies, which is we talk about Jabba the Hutt for two movies, and then we finally see him, and it's way scarier and grosser than we ever could have imagined? I mean, that is a great payoff. And if you put him in the first movie, you lose that.
7: Jabba. Because ultimately, the Greedo scene, you can kind of squint and ignore and pretend you've seen it in your mind's eye or get the despecialized edition. <coughs> Uh, but the Jabba scene is pointless repetition of story points we've just seen in the Greedo scene, and it also ruins the reveal of the Millennium Falcon. What a piece of junk! So, lop that
1: Jabba scene right out there. Don't put it back in ever again. Thank you very much. Oh, the scene of Jabba, because, and I'll tell you why, where's the threat? Han Solo just stepped on the guy's tail and nothing happened to him. In, In Jedi, he's terrifying because you can run from him, you know what I mean? Nothing's <laughs> going to happen. But everybody, everybody is, is under some sort of – like he's – you just know he's powerful because he's this big blob that controls everything somehow. Han steps on his tail and there's no
6: repercussions Java, definitely Java. The other one I just find funny now. Yeah, I hope he
3: keeps changing it. Like forever. <laughs> I hope every three years. Eventually, gonna be... <laughs> somebody else is
6: going to shoot first. It's not even going to be either it's, the, two yeah,
3: the... <laughs> stormtroopers will come in and shoot Greedo for Han. For Han, yeah. Like I
2: want a Disney Plus series on McClunky. <laughs>
3: <laughs> you know what?
5: Surprisingly, I don't think this is very close. The Jabba scene, although it doesn't fit and it doesn't, it, it never bothered me. The changing of Greedo shooting first really, really bothers me. And for the simple fact that this, it's like, it, I, I feel like he took a classic Wild West moment and tried to make it politically correct. And in that world, especially this Wild West Tatooine dive bar, there's no points awarded for being the gentleman unless you're trying to appeal to kids. And George Lucas was trying to rewrite history for, for a PC generation and that bothers me. I mean, you got a price on your head, and a dude in the dive bar stops you and threatens your life just moments after another guy in the bar got his arm cut off and nobody got kicked out of the bar? I'm sorry, you shoot first.
1: But I'm going to do you one. I'm going to audible this, and I will say that the deletion of the Nyub Nyub song at the end of Return of the Jedi (laughs) is the greatest travesty. Uh, Agreed,
2: agreed. Number four,
5: Han Solo, jacket or vest? Jacket. Jacket. It depends on whether or not the vest fits.
1: Uh, jacket. Oh, jacket. Vespin Han Solo is the smartest dresser around.
5: The episode four vest that Han wore, the iconic Han Solo character from Star Wars A New Hope, doesn't fit him. I'm sorry.
4: It always kind of bothered me. There's too much shirt showing underneath. I was like, I I didn't like that. I'm gonna go jacket. I I, maybe it's just my love of Empire, but he's pretty cool looking in that movie. And I I think maybe you know we're so used to seeing the vest. I'm gonna go jacket. I'm gonna say the jacket by a nose. And I don't mean the jacket in
5: Force Awakens. I hate the leather jacket. I like the Empire Strikes Back jacket, his Bespin jacket, the navy blue with brown pants and black boots, like all these colors that you're not supposed to put together like anybody that's ever worn a suit you can't do that and han solo does it and looks tough
2: number five which character introduced in the prequel trilogy would you want to see a spin-off movie about
6: <sighs> <laughs> is none of them an answer oh uh qui-gon jinn uh
3: captain what's his name from the phantom menace and briefly in attack of the Clones. Like, one of oh. the four black people in the galaxy.
6: Actually, I'd say Count Dooku. I would have liked to see more about that guy.
5: Can I say none? <laughs> no. I
4: Boy, that's... I don't really know. I, um, I'm going to say Dexter Jetster. Um, I think that you could have sort of a Cheers kind of vibe with that. Um, a runner-up, the guy that wants to sell Obi-Wan Death Sticks.
2: Okay. Oh, and I'm ashamed that I still remember that guy's name is. uh, Oh, sleeve Sagan,
4: Yeah. Oh my God, that guy was that guy was cursed to be a drug dealer.
2: Okay. Uh, I
7: would like a Jedi Council series showing what the other Jedi get up to, other than just sitting on their asses on the chairs, because there is a novel by Matthew Stover called Shatterpoint, which is Mace Windu. Yeah, it's Heart of Darkness in Star Wars. It's absolutely fantastic. So I'd love to see like a Ki-Adi-Mundi, like an eight episode series. The first episode's Ki-Adi-Mundi. The second one is, a Sar- no, it's not a Sarge Ventress, is it? Who's the one with the tentacles who gets killed twice?
2: Oh, Joe.
7: Um... So each episode is about a different Jedi.
2: Number six, what is the best moment from your least favorite Star Wars movie?
3: Um, good job. The scene in uh, Attack of the Clones where Anakin is flying on the speeder by the double st- sunset on um, Tatooine and, and, uh, Duel of the oh, Fates is playing. That is a good moment. It's a beautiful scene. And the look on Anakin's face is the only time in the entire trilogy that I buy that he could be Darth Vader.
4: Okay. My least favorite star Wars movie is the Phantom Menace. And I'm going to say, uh, the moment where the doors open up and, uh, Darth Maul is standing there and Duel of the Fates starts. That is pretty friggin' cool. Um, I'm not a fan of the prequels, but uh, John Williams brought the thunder for those ones.
2: I definitely think the score is the best part about those movies. And I would say that the score of the prequels is better than the score of the new ones.
4: I, I do like the score of the new ones, but I think... I don't, I don't I, dislike them, torn. but I think
2: there are more signature and memorable motifs and, and themes from the prequel trilogy than in the new ones, I think.
4: I do really like Ray's theme. So it's kind of I don't want to throw that away, but um, there's a couple standalone sort of one movie songs that I think are pretty great. Duel of the Fates,
0: um, Across
2: the Stars was good from Attack of the Clones. There's but even yes. like, stuff like the the invasion of the droids at Naboo is a really cool like theme for for the Trade Federation, the bad guys, and everything. But I mean, I also I like Kylo Ren's theme and the new ones and stuff like that. There's some good stuff. I do too. Yeah.
4: Also, I'm, I'm a, I guess if I had a, a problem with the, the prequel score is they didn't use the Force theme enough for as many jedi are in that movie
6: no in the prequel when um she says this is how democracy dies with thunderous applause i, I think that's deeply poignant oh this is how democracy
1: ends with with uh with applause i think thunderous applause yeah. thunderous applause because we're seeing that and, and uh, it's, it's i mean you can't say lucas didn't warn us
5: <laughs> right after anakin kills the sand people to get his mother back and he goes he goes back home and Natalie Portman and Hayden Christensen are talking and and Anakin starts crying <laughs> about how much he hated them. And I seriously was at the point watching this where I almost wanted to throw up or throw something through my TV. Stop crying, like, oh my God, this is Anakin Skywalker. Seriously. I hated everything about his writing in that scene and the acting of those performances until the Imperial theme music played in the background for the first time in the prequels as a foreshadowing of things to come. And all of a sudden everything was right with the universe. (laughs) That moment made me forgive Anakin Skywalker, because when John Williams Imperial theme, the Darth Vader haunting theme plays underneath the background. When Anakin says he killed them all. Oh, oh my God. It like fixed everything.
2: All right. Last question. If you could take a selfie at any location in the Star Wars universe, where would it be?
5: Like if I was going on like a honeymoon vacation destination kind of thing, I'd say Cloud City and Cloud City at sunset because it looks like a really happening place. It looks like a cool-ass city. There's probably good weather most of the time. I bet you they have a lot of patio seating for like restaurants and <laughs> things like that. And we already know they have a nice banquet hall. There's a lot of scenic stuff. I, w- I think it'd be cool to get some Cloud City scenes. Maybe on like the landing pad with like one of the Twin Pod cloud cars like coming in. That would be, that'd be a cool scene.
0: Uh, sitting at
3: the council room table in the Death Star in that one empty chair.
1: Oh, that red room? Snoke's red room? <laughs> <laughs> Just because it, like, you could say, like, on am a set of Twin Peaks or something? Yeah. yeah. This is where that guy died, right?
4: <laughs> uh, probably the, if you want to have a bunch of cool stuff in the background, probably the Mos Eisley Cantina. Because there's a werewolf there and a devil.
7: Naboo. Naboo looks lovely. I'd like to go to Naboo for a vacation. I don't want to go to like a dusty planet or Coruscant. I don't want to go there.
2: You want to sit on the same terrace where Anakin can... a yeah. <laughs> Padme here. Yeah, and, I,
7: and I, want to, I want to creepily stroke Natalie Portman's shoulder Yeah,
6: <laughs> Literally anywhere on Naboo, because it's such a pretty planet. It's not Sandy there. Uh, it's not Sandy there. <laughs> God, those movies. Whatever.
2: Special thanks to all of my guests this episode David Ace Gutierrez, Mike Gillis, Jonathan Schaefer-Hames, Maggie Schaefer-Hames, Andrew Leyland, and Neil Daly. Give Me Those Star Wars is a proud part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Feedback for the show can be left at fireandwaterpodcast.com or the Facebook page for Give Me Those Star Wars. You can find me on Twitter at ryandaily01 or you can send an email to ourdailypodcast at gmail.com. If you like this show or other shows on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, please consider donating to our Patreon page. Go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts for additional information all music audio clips or quoted text are used for entertainment purposes and believed covered under fair use give me those star wars that's not affiliated with disney or lucasfilm so no copyright infringement is intended thank you for listening and if after listening to this entire episode you are still inclined may the force be with you
1: business of show Ryan the yes, business of show of course